Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on March 27th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway. He is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am doing really well, man. We just uh, wrapped up a really uh, peppy banter segment, and we've got 85 gajillion games to talk about, and I'm super excited. I'm really looking forward to today's discussion, so I'm hoping that people will join us, uh, especially at the end. That's what I'm really looking forward to the most, but boy, I'm excited. I'm just, I'm bursting with youthful enthusiasm. (laughs) Uh, I am actually very excited as well because the games we're discussing in tandem toward the end of the show, I am interested to talk about them. Also, the game I'm talking about solo uh, really took me by surprise this week. But before we jump into all the games talk, I hear, hear a rumor that you're trying to like drag some movie documentary talk into the games section. What is this all about, Brad? I know. It's like this cross-pollination that should not be happening. I apologize. <laughs> should keep this stuff for the banter, but I figured it was it was gaming adjacent, so we should talk about it. Uh, yeah, I, I was tipped off by... I mean, the PR people for Warframe tipped me off about it, to be frank. Uh, well, not much of a tip. It was kind of they just straight up told me. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, the good guys over... Um, uh, oh, my God. CJ and Patty uh, over in the UK, uh, who are also fellow Warframers, uh, told me about this. They do the Twin Humanities show. Um, although they also they do many different clever plays on that name. I think the last time they talked about uh, Warframe was called uh, Tenno the Humanities because Tenno is the name of a Warframe. So they kind of you know little clever play on words. Those <laughs> British folks are very clever <laughs> like that. Uh, anyway, they told me about it as well, and I watched it. So there is a new Warframe documentary put out by No Clip. And I got to be honest, I was not super familiar with this company, but apparently there's somebody, um, a guy named Danny O'Dwyer does these, and I guess he is somebody that I guess has a following. I, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know who he is. I've never heard of him before, but apparently he's somebody that is, you know, who does these things and is very good at it and is very well liked. So I can totally see that because he created a documentary about Warframe, which started at the very beginning when it was just like this guy who was like in school and was thinking about becoming a developer and then like what did he do he like started making these you know weird games in his house and he got a little bit of money from that and you know it kind of tells the whole kind of like you know started in a garage type of a story and how they grew and it just talks about the beginning and how they tried to shop warframe around and like no one was interested and no one cared and everybody was telling them that nobody likes sci-fi games and get out of here with this garbage and they were just like really tenacious about trying to bring their dream um, to life. And they had to do all sorts of different things to make it happen. You know, and they even like almost went bankrupt a couple times. And I mean, it's a pretty interesting story, even if you don't play Warframe, because just seeing this guy who has this, you know, idea and this motivation and how he brings his crew together and how they stick together and how that kind of makes them stand out apart from other studios in the industry and, and um, their whole approach to being a team and, and keeping the company going was really interesting and refreshing to see. It's nice to see people who are very, um, loyal uh to their company rather than people who are just really in that whole hiring firing crunch time get out of here hire back no now you're fired again kind of mentality that seems to be the common story we hear so often with studios but these guys were like no 
we were all together. We've been together. I was looking out for my folks. We had to do what we had to do to keep people paid and, you know, look out for their families. And I mean, it was really touching to see that they were really so in, uh, you know, so full of concern for each other and, and really how that reflected into the game, because by keeping their studio together, they had this like superior level of skill and of knowledge and of teamwork that you can't really get if you're hiring and firing people constantly. So these guys have been stuck together for so long that when they finally got to make Warframe, they were able to put out like a much, uh, a very surprising product because it, they could iterate really quickly and they could generate assets really quickly and they could be very nimble and they work together so well. Like that's really one of the keys to Warframe success, uh, which probably wouldn't have happened if they hadn't stayed together as a group. So I think that's a really cool story. And just a little behind the scenes peek and to see like the early footage of what the game looked like a million years ago compared to what it looked like now and how they got to where they're going. And I mean, it was just really cool. So if you like Warframe, I mean, you know, double double win for you. But even if you don't like Warframe, just seeing this particular documentary about how they grew from nothing into this, you know, one of the more successful, uh, I guess, I don't know if I want to call it an MMO, but kind of an action semi-MMO or whatever, uh, free-to-play games. Uh, you know, it's always like in the Twitch top five and it's like, it's got like however many million users and it's such, so forth and so on. So it's a really cool story, really cool look at what is behind the scenes. And uh, me and my wife watched it the other night and uh, we just thought it was really great. So good job to Danny O'Dwyer over at Noclip. If you go to Google and just type in Noclip Warframe documentary, it's like the first thing that comes up. So you can check it out. You can watch the whole thing for free on YouTube or wherever else it's on. Uh, and it, I think the whole thing is about, I want to say it's like an hour, two hours. Like it wasn't that long. I think maybe it was like an hour total. Um, so you could easily watch it in a day and just, you know, and learn how this game got made. I really liked it a lot. So heads up uh, to all you listeners out there. If you want to check out this documentary, there you go. All right. That sounds uh, pretty good. I actually used to follow Danny O'Dwyer on Twitter. He worked for GameSpot UK for a long time, if I'm not mistaken. And then he left GameSpot to pursue um, this kind of thing. Like he does a lot of like in-depth documentary stuff, like with games and with developers and stuff like that, where he kind of gets a lot of good like behind the scenes um, and like stories about how games were made. Um, although I have not actually watched anything he's ever produced, which makes me sound terrible. And I did. Um, end up unfollowing him on Twitter because I, f which makes me sound like an asshole. Um, but, uh, I am familiar with who he is. So at least one of us has heard of him on the podcast. Can I ask you why you unfollowed him? If it's not too embarrassing? Uh, it's not embarrassing. It was just one of those things where, and like, I, I, I encourage people to do this to me if they get sick of my stuff too. Is that like, I followed him because he worked at GameSpot. So he was like, kind of had, you know, like, a finger on the pulse of gaming news and whatnot. And he was also over in GameSpot UK. So it was like a little bit detached from like American journalism. Um, and then he left GameSpot and he started doing his documentary series thing. And I wasn't particularly interested in like sitting down and watching any of these like documentary things. Like I'm sure they're, I'm sure that they're well-produced. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm sure he knows exactly what he's doing and that he's doing great work and he's nice and he's competent and all those things. But I was not interested in watching them. And it kind of became one of those scenarios where like 90% of his tweets were about the documentaries. So I was like, well, like I'm not really interested in watching them. I'm kind of tired of hearing him talk about them. So, I'm just going to unfollow him. And sometimes I feel like that that's kind of like an uphill battle for any artist. Like I'm sure that there have been people that have unfollowed me on Twitter because like 
80% of my tweets are about my photography. And like, that's okay. I don't blame you. Cause if you followed me for one reason and you started getting something else, like by all means. Um, but that's sort of, uh, how the route I went with him. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, you, you, you follow things intentionally because you want to hear about them. And if it starts becoming something you don't want to hear about, you unfollow, no big deal, no harm, no foul. You know, no one owes anybody to follow anyway. So who cares? But okay, just curious. <laughs> just wanted to know if he was like secretly some raging asshole or something. Cause that happens sometimes. Oh but. God. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. Yeah. if that's not the reason, then that's fine. I just, I just, I literally had like never heard of the guy before, which is, I'm sure it's dumb. I'm sure people listening to the podcast are like, Oh my God, what are you living in a cave? Never heard of Danny Dwyer. What the fuck's wrong with you, Brad? I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Like I don't spend a lot of time on YouTube. I don't consume a lot of media cause I'm fucking busy. I don't know everybody. Uh, sorry. Okay. Apologies. If I don't know who that guy is no harm intended. I just literally didn't, didn't know who he was. That's all. So anyway, it was a cool documentary. He did a great job. That was very interesting, and I think even people who do not care about Warframe will find it to be interesting, so I do recommend it, and I'm sure that the rest of his documentaries are probably of equal quality, so I might check out some of those other ones as well. There we go. All right. Well, are you ready to move on to Games Talk official now? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some actual official Games Talk. You want me to just launch into it? You got a little preamble going, or what are we doing? Uh, I don't really have a preamble. I was just going to say that you have like a lot... So... Truth be told, when we started putting the script together, Brad was like, oh, I have this game and 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 this other game and then this documentary I want to talk about. And I was like, oh, my God, you have so much fucking stuff to talk about. But you allegedly are going to keep these topics short. So it's going to be. Yeah, I'm it's going to be real short. It, please do. It's going to be real <laughs> short before uh, before I launch into my extremely uh, drawn out and overlong segment. Um, you want to you want to maybe give people a warning about the spoilery discussion we're going to be having at the end of the show? Oh, yeah, let's do that. Um, so Brad is going to do he's played a lot of games this week. He's going to do some quick hits. I've got kind of a deep dive on the on a game I've been playing in the middle of his games. And then before we do our sign off segment, um, as promised from last week's show, uh, Brad and I are going to do like a full spoiler discussion or as spoilery as we can get with uh, two indie games, Old Man's Journey and Florence. And Brad has talked about Old Man's Journey probably like three or four short, uh, shows ago. And I talked about Florence last week. And since then, we have both played both of them. So I will have timestamps in the show. I will also, when we get to that discussion, because it'll be like the last two games we talk about before we move on to the signing off and our, you know, email and everything, um, we'll, you know, do our big like 30 second spoiler warning there. But just as a heads up before we jump into games, we are going to be talking about spoilers for Old Man's Journey and Florence toward the end of the show. Excellent. Excellent. So I want to make sure people know what they're in for so we don't get anybody who says they were surprised they didn't know because, you know, sucks to be spoiled. And I'm sure that we're going to do a good job of, of uh, giving people a heads up, but just that's coming at the end so we'll put that on hold for now uh i'll go ahead and launch into some stuff if that's all right with you then yeah go take take the reins what do you want to talk about all right all right i'll just just a couple quick hits to start us off here first off um i cannot take full credit for this one i actually heard about this one from jeremiah over on the game bar podcast who uh jeremiah is a friend of mine in real life uh and he does a great job on the podcast i i enjoy his show very much and one of the, sh the games that they were talking about was an ios game called part-time ufo uh, I am pretty detached from the world of iPhone gaming. I mean, do you spend a lot of time gaming on your phone, Corey? Uh, not really. I find maybe like one or two a year that I play, and they're usually like 
only like one to three hours long or so. And that's about it. That's kind of where I fall to. Like if I hear like a lot of buzz on Twitter about something and maybe I'll check it out, but that's, that's about where I come in at it. Like maybe one or two games per year. I mean, that's not counting puzzle quest, uh, Marvel puzzle quest, but that's the, I don't even count that anymore. It's just like a thing that I do. And it's just like, you know, major time suck, but it's not like I'm out looking for new games or anything. So I very rarely will play anything outside of puzzle quest on my phone. Uh, but Jeremiah was talking about this in the game bar podcast and it sounded really fun. Uh, what this is, it is one of the first, if not the first iOS game coming from how laboratories who are the makers of Kirby. You are familiar with Kirby. Are you not Corey? Like pink Kirby. Yeah. Pink Puffball eats other people and steals their powers <laughs> on Nintendo Kirby. That Kirby. Yes. Yeah. That Kirby. So this is coming from those guys. So I'm sure you can imagine the same kind of like cutesy sort of aesthetic. They've got a very pleasing aesthetic. I really like their art style. How labs has always, you know, always made really good games. I mean, I, I struggling to think of a game that they really have fucked up and I can't think of anything. So they're very, <laughs> very solid developers. Um, and this is their first iPhone uh, foray. Basically, you play a UFO that has one of those uh, claw machine. You know, like when you go to arcade, there's like that claw machine. You put in like 50 cents or a dollar and like the claw goes down. You try to catch that stuffed animal and that motherfucking thing never gets in the damn claw because it falls out and the claw doesn't really pinch very hard anyway. Like it weakly comes together like it's got arthritis and you lose your, your 50 cents. You get pissed off. You know, those claw machines. Oh, yeah. Like in uh, Toy Story. Totally. Like with the aliens, the... Yeah, they call it the claw and all that. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. I, I don't know if there's another name for those, but I just call them like the claw machine in the arcade. Everybody kind of, I'm sure everybody has seen one of those in real life at some point. Those things fucking suck. They rip you off and they're like a bad time. Last time my kid tried one, he like left crying because it was just such a fucking poor, poor excuse for a claw machine. Anyway, uh, so that's what you do. You are a UFO with a claw machine on your underside. And so what happens is you need to get a job because this human sees you and he's like, Rrr! Fucking aliens, always on our social security system and drain on the drain on resources and get a job. And so you're like, okay, I will get a job. And so he like looks in the paper uh, for a job and he like gets these like random, random assignments. And so basically what you do is you fly around as a UFO. You're like a small UFO. You're about the size of a basketball, maybe. And you have to like pick stuff up with your claw. So I... You know, there's, of course, in real life, there are many things on the ground and on the floor that need to be picked up. And, of course, someone must pick those up. So why not you? Why not get paid to pick these things up? And you just fly around. And it's kind of like having that claw machine experience, but it's like moving around in a level. It's 2D. Like, for example, the first, I think one of the first levels is um, there's a truck that has some oranges that have spilled out of the back of the truck. And so you need to go and pick up the oranges and put them in the back of the truck. Super simple. You control it with, um, you can do either one finger or two. At first, I thought I was going to like the single finger control, but I actually ended up going back to the double finger control. And I'm not really a fan of virtual joysticks at all, but this is, it, it kind of works okay here. Like, it's not too bad. So basically, you fly around, you see the orange on the ground, you hover over it, you hit the button, the claw goes down. Hopefully, the claw grabs the orange. Once you grab the orange, you fly back over the truck, you drop it down, boom, done. Simple. <laughs> So that's the first level. Of course, there are many other different levels. There's one where you're like catching fish. There's one where you're, uh, I don't know, there's all sorts of all sorts of different stuff that you're picking out. There's one where like you're assembling like a like a Greek statue or something like that, where you got to put the pieces in the right order. And there's a couple levels to it. So you have to advance by doing these extra challenges. So you can just do like the, for example, pick up the orange, put it back in the truck. That's simple. 
But there's another level where you can like you got to pick up like a box and the box has to be facing the right way. And then once their box is facing the right way, then you got to put the orange inside the box. So if you want to do these extra steps and do them all properly, then you get like more stars and that will unlock more levels. So there's the real like initial simple task of doing that thing. And then there's also the more challenging level uh, of, of tasks that are associated with that. So that's basically all it is. I think it's really super cute. Uh, I like the graphics. Uh, the, the concept is very simple. I mean, I think, like I said, I think everybody who's ever been to an arcade has probably seen like this claw machine. Or if you haven't, you've probably seen it on TV. Or if you've seen Toy Story, then you know what it looks like. I mean, it's a very familiar concept. And it's just, you know, you do it for five minutes here, five minutes there. Nothing hardcore, nothing major. You just jump in, claw a few things, you leave, you're done. It's been real fun. I think I bought it for, I want to say like three bucks, two bucks. Uh, as far as I can tell, there are no in-app purchases. It just seems like a, you get, you buy, uh, you know, you pay one price, you get the whole thing, and then you're done. Just play as much as you want. It's one of those. Oh, speaking of which, it is a, it is, it is a B2P game. It is a buy-to-play game. Did you see my tweet about this a while ago, Corey? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> slight slight tangent i'm okay i'm gonna be totally fucking serious with you and with everybody listening i literally got a pr email the other day that said hey we've got a new game uh i don't remember what the game was it was some shitty mmo but they were like oh it's a new concept we're trying out called b2p buy to play you pay one price buy the game you can play it as much as you want for the rest of your life no limits i'm like (laughs) and i i I, for a second i'm like are you guys is this your attempt to be like hilariously sarcastic and funny no no dead serious they were dead serious they thought this was like a new concept where you buy a game and don't have to pay anything else ever and then you just own it forever that's a new new revolutionary concept in gaming are you down with this concept Corey? is this a good idea to you uh this is a concept that i've been practicing in my game purchases for like 20 years now so oh you were ahead of the curve <laughs> my friend you were a trendsetter that's amazing <laughs> Anyway, I just, I kind of was beside myself that these guys had put that in an email and it wasn't obviously a joke. So that was, that's kind of what this reminded me of. It's a new, the new wave of B2P games where you just buy it and then you're done. So part-time UFO uh, on iOS. I think it's really fun and really cute and I like it in four minute stretches at a time. So does this seem like something you'd be uh, into, Corey? Uh, I mean, probably not. It sounds really cute and really fun, but I don't, probably would not play this. You don't need more iOS games in your life. Who cares? Fuck it. <laughs> all right. I'm going to move on to my next games because that's all I got to say about part-time UFO. Um, sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is, I guess, sort of the new hotness right now. Kind of. Uh, it is the new game from Rare. Or the studio that is called Rare, but a lot of the people who used to be at Rare are no longer there. So I guess it's debatable whether it really even is Rare anymore. But... This is a Microsoft exclusive where you play as a pirate and you do pirate stuff. I, I'm sure you must have heard about this or have seen something about it. Yeah, I mean, Patrick bought it. So, or he, what did he do? He bought the whatever Microsoft Game Pass thing for it, I think, and has been playing it on PC with some of his friends that uh, live in Omaha. Excellent. Okay, hold on to that because I will definitely ask you about that. So let me relate my story. So I didn't give a shit about Sea of Thieves. I looked at the trailers that were announced at E3 or whatever it was, the last big trade show, and I'm like, this game looks like ass. Like, it looks like there's nothing there. It looks like just really empty and boring. But my son was super, super, super excited about it. He loves these open-world fuck-around, screw-around games, and he was... he I mean, he likes pirates. I mean, what, you know, what's not to like about pirates, right? So he was down, and he was just begging me to get it for him because, you know, Dad is 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 the game guy. Dad plays all the games. Dad can get all the games. 
So I was like, Ugh, $60 seems like a lot of money for this game. And Microsoft did not send us a review code because we're kind of hot and cold with Microsoft sometimes. So I'm like, I'm not going to pay $60. Bucks, but Microsoft is launching a new Game Pass feature, which you actually just mentioned, Corey. Um, so it's kind of like the same idea on on Sony's PSN service where you get games every month. You get a couple free games. Uh, but Sony includes that with their PSN subscription. So you get the online service, plus you get the free games as a package every month. Uh, this is a separate thing. On Microsoft's Xbox One, you have to pay for Xbox Live to be online with other people. And this is a separate subscription where you get these free games uh, every month. I mean, apparently there's like a library of games that are on this Game Pass service, or there will be a library of games. Uh, also, they're saying Microsoft is saying that all of their new Microsoft exclusives are going to be on the Game Pass service first. So if you pay 10 bucks a month, I think is what it breaks down to, they will give you um, basically the entire game of whatever's coming out. So like, for example, Sea of Thieves. I, jo I joined Microsoft Game Pass. They give you a two-week trial subscription for free. So I signed up for the two-week trial subscription. I got to download the entire game of Sea of Thieves and play it as much as I want. Also, they're saying that Crackdown 3 is going to be coming to that. They're saying that um, uh, State of Decay 2 is going to be coming to that. So if you're a member of the service, you will apparently get to download all of these brand new Microsoft exclusives in their entirety and play them for as long as you want, as long as you're a member of the Game Pass service, in addition to whatever other, like, you know, quote-unquote library of games that they have. Um, so full disclosure, I am not a Microsoft fan. I had no intention of subscribing to this with my own money or for any length of time, but because they gave me a two week uh, free trial, I'm like, well, okay, I'll try it. So I, I signed up. And then once I signed up, I immediately turned off the automatic renewal. Like we talked about in the last couple shows where I just, I immediately go to the site, turn that shit off because I don't want to keep getting billed for it. And then I downloaded the entire game of Sea of Thieves and sat down with my son and let him play it. And I got to say, this game fucking sucks, dude. I, this game's garbage. Uh, I just, <laughs> I, I don't even know what even is going on with this game. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are real staunch defenders of this, and that's fine. Like, I don't I don't think they're lying. I mean, I, I believe them when they say they're having a good time with it. But I think you have to have a very specific set of circumstances in order to have a good time with this. Um, first off, I think you probably need a couple beers. Second off, I think you need to have, like, two or three friends that you actually know in real life or that you are friends with online. Uh, and then you just have to be okay with fucking around. Like, and if you meet those three criteria, I could see this game, like maybe sort of being fun for a couple of hours, but like this game was in production for like four years and they're selling it at $60 if you don't subscribe to the game pass thing. And it just is blowing my mind that they are charging that much. And for four years in development, this is all they came up with because it's basically this fucking empty world. Um, the game starts, you don't get, any introduction at all like you make a character you get dropped into the world that's it no tutorial no instructions no direction nothing you just start and you're on an island go to it so that is a really poor start for me just to begin with because i am i'm definitely a tutorial guy you walk around like you don't even know what's going on i'm like my son was trying to find a ship because you know he's a pirate he's got a ship couldn't find the ship was looking around trying to uh you know, shoot some stuff. He didn't have a gun. Where do you get the gun? I don't know. What's going on? Um, turns out that, like, that first night that we downloaded it, the game was having a lot of problems. So a lot of the things that should have been there were just not working. And I think that the single-player mode 
was having more problems than the multiplayer for some reason, because I heard a lot of people in the single player mode just really grousing about it, whereas the multiplayer people were seemed to be doing okay. So the second day we came back to it, a lot of the stuff was better. Like he had a gun, he had a sword, he had a ship. So all that stuff got fixed the second day. But all you do is like you get in your boat and you sail around and the water, I will be fair in saying the water looks amazing. The water looks great. Probably the best ocean water I've ever seen in a game. It looks really convincing. It looks really natural. It's beautiful, but it's just fucking water. Like that's all it is. Um, you sail around on a boat and you go to islands and you just, there's skeletons that walk around and you shoot them or you whack them. And it's not particularly compelling combat. Um, you can get these little quests. I mean, I, I hesitate to even call them quests. It's just like busy work where you go. Someone says, hey, there's a chest over here. You follow this string of clues and you go to a couple different islands. You dig up a chest and then you get some money and you go back and you buy a couple cosmetic things, which don't really affect your stats or don't do anything different. They just look slightly differently. Um, and then you sail around some more and you do it some more. And I was just like, oh, my God, in the first hour, I was like falling out of my chair. I was like so bored. Like I was like, this is terrible. There's like nothing to do here. There's no story. There's like nothing going on. Like within the first hour or two, I think my son had seen basically everything that there was to do. And so after that, it was just like, just do it some more. So if you don't have friends to fuck around and make jokes with and shit talk with and goof around with, I just, I'm not seeing like any real reason to play this at all. Um, I told him that I was not going to be re-upping my subscription. So he had a full 14 days to play it. And he played it for maybe two or three days, and then he totally forgot about it. He was done. And he is, like, the king of fuck-around games. So if he doesn't like your fuck-around game, your game does not have enough fucking around in it. And if that... You can't keep my eight-year-old busy, then you got a problem. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people compare Sea of Thieves, uh, calling it Xbox... Uh, Xbox's No Man's Sky is, is a, a good parallel, and I think that's pretty accurate. It's like this giant concept that they talked about, but when you actually get into it, not much to do, not much to see. You get bored of it real quick and you're supposed to like, you know, quote unquote, make your own fun, which I guess works for some people. And I'm not trying to take that away from them, but I just, I just look at this project and I'm like, there's literally like nothing here. Like it's empty. There's not much to do, not much variety. Uh, they, I just, I don't even understand what they were doing for four years. Like, I don't understand how they have the balls to ask 60 bucks for this game. It seems to me like a 10, $15 game at most. And you would probably only play it for like a weekend, you know, like it's just, there's nothing there. Um, I'm not going to come back to it. My son is already done with it. I have a real doubt that this is going to have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, lasting uh, impact on the industry. I mean, unless they start dropping like a lot of content in a hurry for this game, I really don't imagine anybody's going to be playing it like in two months from now. So giant nothing burger of a game, like really, really built up a lot of uh, hype, but did not deliver Empty Promises is what's on offer here. So I was very disappointed with it. I will be, like I said, not re-upping my Game Pass. Uh, yeah, just boring, boring and dumb. So um, I want to talk one more about one more thing about the Game Pass. But before I get to that, what was Patrick's impression of Sea of Thieves? Because you said that he picked it up. Has he been playing it? Is he interested? Is he with friends? Like, what is his what is his take on it? Well, he has all of the right elements to enjoy it. He has friends. He has beer. He has friends that he knows in real life that play it so he's been enjoying it but he was telling me yesterday that it only it basically only has like three mission types in the entire game and so like it's pretty obvious that you know they're 
probably going to be like adding more to it and you know basically pulling the whole like games of service bullshit thing where you know it starts like pretty limited and then they're you know if it's successful enough then they'll be adding to it over time um he's been enjoying it and he's been having a good time you know that being said he's been playing it online with friends that he knows in real life on the computer so it's not like he's just jumping in with random people um but uh i mean he likes it but this is also coming from the guy that has been playing Overwatch 99% of the time for the past, like, year and a half, so he doesn't really, like, play games in the same ways that you and I do. Um, that's not to say that his taste in games is, like, bad or anything, but, like, he doesn't look for, like, as much depth and gameplay as, like, someone like you or I does, but, I mean, he's been having fun, I guess, but it's not, like... I don't know, he's, it's more about, like, the immersive gameplay of playing it with his friends rather than, like, the game itself, maybe. Yeah, totally. I mean, have you been watching him? Have you even got the slightest itch to try it at all, or what was your impression of it? Uh, I have not watched him play it, and I have not been interested in playing it at all, so no and no. No and no. Okay. Yeah, I don't see anything here. I don't... I really would struggle to recommend this to anybody because even if you did have friends and did want to fuck around, I can think of other games that are more fun. Um, I mean, maybe this will be something to really come to in like a year if it does well and they add a bunch of content to it and it gets richer and deeper. Like I could see, I could see this being kind of fun if there was more to do. Like if you could make your own base or if there were many different missions or if there was like a rudimentary story to go through. Like, I mean, something I could see. I mean, the bones of something better are here. It just, there is like zero meat on these bones and I really can't imagine why they released it in this state or what they hope to accomplish. It just seems really kind of embarrassing to me. So <laughs> I I have no real super positive things to say about Sea of Thieves. I know people like it and that's great. I, I am super, super mega not impressed in a critical sense. <laughs> um, to talk about the Game Pass thing for just one second, I think Microsoft is crazy with this Game Pass service. It works on PSN because you do the online thing, and so people want to play online, you get the games on top of it. It's all kind of combined, so it really is a good uh, reason to not discontinue your service because, you know, everybody wants to play with their friends, and even if you don't, you got all these games that are on there, and you get them for free, so it's kind of like you got you know, you got to pay the one-time thing, and why would you not want to be online if you have a PS4? Like, it kind of makes sense. But to ask people to pay two separate subscriptions for this thing doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I assume that most people are probably going to be just for the online doing the Xbox Live stuff. But even beyond that, them saying, Microsoft saying that they are going to let you download their brand new exclusive games in entirety for free as long as you are a member of the service is fucking insane to me because there is literally nothing stopping me. Like, let's say, for example, Crackdown 3 comes out. I'm interested in Crackdown 3. I liked Crackdown 1. Crackdown 2 is garbage, but I think that there's potential to fix it, so I will come back for number three. It's insane to think that I could pay Microsoft $10, join up to the Game Pass service, download the entirety of Crackdown 3. Uh, it is not going to take me a month to play through Crackdown 3. I could play that as much as I wanted to and then be done. So I have basically avoided paying $60, uh, you know, to 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 buy that game. I've, I've played the entire thing for like 10 bucks, and I'm just I'm struggling to understand how the people are going to be making money off of this. It just seems like a really like, like a bad idea. Um, I'm just guessing everybody's going to be joining up every time a new game comes out. Everybody joins up for a month. You play the game, you quit. And then you don't come back until the brand new game comes out. And those developers are not getting $60 a purchase. 
you know, they're basically getting their percentage of the $10. I'm sure Microsoft keeps some of that and they get some of that. But is that really enough? I mean, is Microsoft making enough money they can cut these guys a check to compensate for the sales that they're going to be losing? I don't know. This whole scheme sounds crazy to me, man. What do you think about this? Well, the Game Pass, I think, in theory, the Game Pass is an all right idea because it's kind of sort of like like a Netflix for games because they have a library of games and you pay the monthly fee and then you can basically download any of the games that they have and then play them. But the drawback is that like Patrick uh, bought the, the Game Pass so he could play Sea of Thieves. And so like the day he bought it, I mean, obviously, one of the first things I did was turn on the Xbox One, and I was like, oh, well, let me look at the catalog. Like, I'd love to download some games and play them, you know, if it's something I haven't played or something I haven't tried or, you know, something that looks interesting um, now that we don't have to pay any extra for it. And right now, their catalog is not very big. Um, It's maybe, like, 30 or 40 games, if I remember correctly. And a lot of them I had already played, like, you know, like, uh tomb raider is on there which i had already played and like i can't remember what else but there's just like i'd played already a lot of stuff that's on it and a lot of stuff that is on it that i hadn't played i wasn't interested in playing at all so the one game that i downloaded which this is really sad that this is the one game out of all of them that i picked out was um devil may cry for the hd edition um because oh man (laughs) i mean i hadn't played i've played devil may cry 4 on the 360 but i'd never beat it and the uh, like whatever the new edition that's out on the new consoles has like all these different playable characters you can play as like you can play as um like virgil or you can play as trish and lady i think her name is um And so you can play, and it's like from the get-go, like you can start the campaign like playing as any of these characters. And so I was like, oh, this seems like fun. Like, you know, it'd be nice to kind of like dip back in and see if it's, you know, more fun now that it's on the Xbox One and that it's like updated, it's prettier and has like a higher uh, frames per second and stuff. Um, And I played each character, the first mission with each character just to kind of get a feel for them. And I haven't returned to it. That's not a really so much of a comment on the game itself as it's a comment on that. I've been playing other things, but I don't know. Like, I feel like the game pass, I mean, I, I totally understand like, you know, how are the developers making any money off of this whenever, um, you know, like you're paying $10 a month and then maybe you'll cancel it and stuff. Like, I totally agree with that. But I think in theory, the Game Pass isn't that bad of an idea. I just think that they need a bigger library of games, and I'm sure they're going to be adding stuff over time and, you know, adding stuff every month or every few months or something to the catalog. But it's kind of like if you had Netflix, but it only had, like, 50 movies on it. Like, that's kind of how it feels, and you've already seen, like, 30 of the movies. That's kind of how the Game Pass feels right now. But, uh, I mean, in theory, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that maybe the developers are making money because the games are Microsoft exclusive. So Microsoft has already dumped an ass load of money into the developers pockets just to keep the games Microsoft exclusive. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, because that's like, you know, everybody knows that's kind of like the big thing that Microsoft has working against it is like, um, there aren't a lot of exclusive Microsoft games that, I mean, first of all, exist period. And second of all, like are good. So, that's kind of something that they continue to struggle with is getting like first party games that are exclusives that actually end up being good. So maybe um, Microsoft is just really paying a lot to keep these games exclusive. Um, I'm not sure, 
But uh, I think in theory, the Game Pass is a good idea. I just think it needs to have a bigger library, and um, and that's it, I think. Well, we shall see how this pans out. I mean, like I said, I'm not going to continue paying for it because I don't really play a lot of my Xbox One. And even if I did, there's no, I mean, kind of like you said, there's not a lot of games on there that I would be interested in that I haven't already played elsewhere. So I don't know. I mean, I guess if this is your only console, maybe that would be a more appealing proposition. Um, I'll have to look at the, the library again. I didn't really take a very close look at it, so we'll see. But uh, that's all I've got to say on uh, Sea of Thieves. I, wow, just giant whiff for me i'm i'm very very surprised at how empty and boring it feels so we will see if we're talking about it in six months or a year i I mean i think there's potential but well we'll see how it goes so that's all i've got man let's talk about uh a game from you and we are going to do a little bit of a script juggle to talk about spoilers at the end so that means we are going to be talking about get even is that right get even yeah do you know what this game is the only thing I know about this game was that Dan Weissenberger, one of our staff writers at Game Critics, was very excited to play this. I had to jump through a lot of hoops to get him the review copy. <laughs> he got the review copy, and then that's all I ended up hearing about it. And uh, for a while, um, Namco Bandai was trying to really give a big PR push behind it, but it was not a very good PR push because nobody really knew what this game was about or what it was. And then it got released and nobody was talking about it. And then it just kind of whiffed. So I've heard of it and I was curious just because of like, it's not often that I see Namco Bandai give that kind of a push to a game. Um, but I, I honestly don't know jack shit about it, dude. So what, <laughs> tell, tell me about it, man. All right. So, well, that, that doesn't really surprise me because um, I don't remember how I heard about this game, but it came out in June of 2017. So it's been out for a while. And I remember... When I think what happened was I had seen it on like the new games on PS4 or something like around the time it came out. And the cover art for the game, the little cover tile um, on the PS4, it just like the art looks like a game I would be into because the game's called Get Even, which first of all, it's the worst title for a game ever. Get Even tells you absolutely nothing about a game. It sounds like a cheerleading dance simulator uh, more than it does the actual game itself. <laughs> so, um, the, but like the, the title, the tile frame for the game is like, it's kind of this like dingy, like sepia toned portrait of like, I think it's a girl. It kind of looks um, uh, androgynous, but it looks girl, more like a woman to me. Not that it makes a difference, but like a young person. And they're like crying and it's like dark and it looks like, just like the tile, it looks like a first person horror walking simulator. And for the longest time, that's what I thought this was. And so when I saw the tile for it, I was like, man, that really looks like my kind of game. And because like that's like I, I want to just I want to just pause for a second. Dingy, sepia toned, woman tied up and crying. That sounds like my kind of game. Well, it like, looks like <laughs> it looks like a horror game. It looks like a first person horror game. And you know how I am. Like that's kind of like my thing. So oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I just mean, thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it just like it looks. That's what it looked like. And I was like, okay. And I think like way back when it came out, I had watched a trailer for it, and like maybe thought from watching or from looking at screenshots or something that it like it looked more because it looks kind of like the vanishing of ethan carter like some of the screenshots it's like first person you're kind of in this like wooded area there's like a warehouse and it just like looks um you know kind of like that like a scary first person game 
But the problem is that the game was 30 bucks, and I didn't know anything about the game. So I was like, okay, I'll wait for it to go on sale. You know, I'll wait, I'll buy it. And then that compounded with the fact that I hadn't had a job for a really long time. I basically had just been waiting around like forever and kind of forgot about it. But it went on sale on PSN recently. It might actually still be on sale. I'm not sure. But it went on sale. It was like, I don't know, like $12 or $13 or something. And I was like, you know, I can afford this. Like, I could, you know, I'm not going to file for bankruptcy if I buy a $13 game on PSN anymore. So I've been looking forward to it. Um, I, I went to Metacritic to look up some reviews for it because for a certain point in time, I had been too scared to go to Metacritic because I didn't want the game to be spoiled at all for me. I didn't even want to see what the Metacritic score was because I just wanted to go in as fresh as possible because it looked like one of those weird indie horror games that like would really take me by surprise and that I would love. But because it had been so long and because I was on the fence about buying it, I was like, well, let me jump on Metacritic. Let me see. Let me kind of feel out what it looks like. Um, and then I'll decide if I want to buy it or not. And I can't remember what the Metacritic score is. I think it's in like the seventies or something, um, maybe like light seventies. And I read through, and I know you do this too. And I did the same thing. I went to the bottom of the list to see what the worst review said first before going to the top of the list. And, um, a lot of the reviews were like, it's like said stuff along the lines of it being like, like a, like kind of like an innovative, like ambitious game that kind of like couldn't really be pigeonholed into a genre, but it was also really janky and it like needed some patches, you know, to like really like, like the vision is there, but the game is kind of like being held together by like duct tape and like it could really use some like patches and maybe like some more development time to like really get you know, kind of what the developer's vision was. And so, of course, I was like, hell yeah, that sounds like my kind of game. So, <laughs> so I bought it. But keep in mind, it has a lot of high scores on Metacritic, too. Like, it's, it doesn't have, like, a like a 4.0 for its uh, Metacritic score. And so, I mean, like, we talked about, like, North a few weeks ago. Like, that's, like, a janky-ass indie game that was, like, I was super in love with. So... Here I am thinking that this game is like a first person like narrative horror game and it is totally not that like you turn it on and it is a first person game. It's actually like kind of a first person shooter, which I was not expecting at all um, because you start out the game, you play as a guy named, I think his name is Cole Black, but he goes by Black in the game. It's just kind of like his code name. And it kind of does this thing that's sort of like the cell and sort of like Inception where you're, you're, I think you're wearing this like kind of like neural, like VR headset thing. And it's not a VR game. So keep that in mind. It's just a regular first person shooter, no VR support. But the game sort of makes you think that you're wearing this like VR set thing that kind of like jacks into your neural system maybe. And you're living in the game, you're playing through someone's memories to figure out different things that happened. And there's kind of like a lot of stuff going on. Like the first level, it's you and you have a gun. So it's like full on first person shooter. It's not very tightly made. Like it's not like Modern Warfare 2 or anything, but you're kind of like sneaking around in this like rainy warehouse area. You're going deeper into this warehouse Um it has a lot of elements from Condemned Criminal Origins because you have a cell phone that has, like, forensic tools on it. So you can, like, it has, like, an infrared camera. It has, like, one of those, um, or it's, like, a heat signature camera. I guess that's infrared. And then it has, like, a 
kind of like a black light, like the flashlight's kind of like a black light to like look for like traces of like blood and stuff in the environment. It has a scanner where you can like press a button on the phone and it kind of like scans the environment. And if it picks, if it detects something, it'll give you like a voiceover on the phone will tell you like more about it. Or if it's like a piece of torn cloth or like blood, it'll scan it and it'll like tell you who the DNA matches for or something like that. So it's got this really like off the wall, um, kind of like condemned sort of touch to it. And you get to, um, it's sort of like the first mission is trying to figure out like there's, it's like a hostage situation and there's like a woman who's been held hostage and you're trying to like get to her and figure out like who has her and if you can save her. And like, you don't even know who she is because you're like jacked into this other person's memories. And I'm not going to spoil what happens at the end of the mission, but like you, you complete that mission and then you kind of wake up in this like asylum, kind of like an abandoned asylum area and you're like walking through the asylum and the whole time it's unclear if the asylum itself is like another VR memory or if you're actually like playing through it as the person. And it's sort of that like, um, you know, like you don't really know what's going on that really kind of draws me in even more in a weird way. But you get to a point where you have kind of like a VR like lobby and after you do a certain amount of missions, you can like go back and replay the missions and collect more evidence. And as you collect evidence in the missions, you, I mean, I think it has an effect on the outcome of the game, but like the second mission in the game is this totally like, it, it reminds me so much of Inception. Like I swear this game is like the closest thing we'll get to it. The closest thing we have to Inception, maybe the closest thing we'll ever get to Inception because you're playing in someone's memories and you're doing this like corporate heist thing where there's like, a gun there's this gun that can look around corners which sounds really stupid but just go with it um and you're like hired by a rival manufacturer to break into this uh, weapons manufacturer's building and steal the gun and like erase a bunch of the um like their database and stuff and so it's like totally this like first person stealthy like shooter thing going on but you're like playing in someone's memories so certain things happen where like if you kill too many people um there's like a thing that flashes on the screen and it's like oh killing more people will affect how people perceive you and like your handler his name is red and he like calls you on the phone and he'll like tell you like like you if you kill too many people the simulation will break down like it's better to be unnoticed and you can like use your phone scanner to make certain things pop up in the environment like you're in a parking garage toward the beginning and you can like manifest cars in the memory to like serve as cover for you to move around and it's like it's like so weird like i thought it was going to be this one thing and it was going to be this like weird like one hour horror game and now it's like this stealthy first person shooter where you're doing like corporate heists but it also does have horror elements in it because of like the asylum stuff and because you're in people's memories it like there's kind of like a lot of like mind fuckery going on in the game where like in one section you walk out to the courtyard of the asylum and all of a sudden there's these like um like mannequin figures like roaming the courtyard and you have to like sneak around them and they're kind of scary and it's just like totally not what I thought it was going to be but it's so good like it's so like janky like it's definitely janky like it's not it's not very tightly produced and I think 
um, I was going to say, I think it's one of the first games these guys have developed, but I actually don't think that's true. Um, they did a lot of, the developers called The Farm 51, and they've done a lot of, um, I guess, uh, people from, it's like a development group with some ex like hot shots from like people can fly and from some other developers and they did a lot of outsourced work but this might be one of their first like real like top to bottom games and so it's got like a hefty layer of kind of jank on top of it but it's never so much that it like glitches out or that it like freezes up or that it like you know i don't know i haven't like lost my save data or anything it's just kind of like slightly mechanically inept but very slightly but it's, like, so good. Like, I can't believe it took me so long to play this game because I thought it was one thing and it ended up being another. And I haven't finished it yet. So I'll probably come around on the next show to finish it, um, hopefully, and, like, really talk about it in depth, like, maybe do a spoiler thing. Because, like, there's so much stuff going on in the story because you have, like, the hostage situation with the woman and I still am not even totally sure who she is. And I've been playing it for, like, six hours and you have, like, the corporate heist thing and you have... Um, there's like a subplot going on where like this guy's having an affair with the secretary and like maybe you're playing in his memories and maybe you're not. And it's just like, there's a lot of stuff going on and I really, really hope that it all comes together in the end, but I haven't finished yet. But it's like, it's like one of the few games that I've played lately where I like actively want to come back and keep playing it whenever I'm not playing it. And not, not only that, but go back and play the missions that I've already completed in order to find the rest of the evidence in hopes that it will lead to a more satisfying conclusion once I get to the end of the game. But man, this game is bizarre and it's weird, but it's like totally weird in all the right ways for me. And I'm sad that I have not heard more about it because it's like pretty damn well up my alley. So a couple of things occur to me here. So I was, I mean, I did notice this one before. And if it had been cheaper, I think I would have popped for it. Just kind of like what you did, kind of just on the gamble that it was going to turn out to be something neat or interesting. I mean, that, it, it, I mean, I, you know, it caught my eye. But I think, like you said, it debuted at like 30 or 40 bucks or whatever, which is way higher than I want to just risk on a total question mark game. Um, but much like you, I think I actually bought it when it went on sale. I just looked at PSN a minute ago. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I already have it. So I think I can probably download this for free. What you're describing sounds a lot more interesting than the kind of gross, like, horror vibe it was giving off from initial impressions. I'm not much for torture porn or horror or anything like that. You know where I'm falling on that these days. But what you're describing to me sounds not at all like what I thought it was, which is a shame because, I mean, what you're saying is sounding really interesting and exciting. And it's a shame that these guys did not do a better job of trying to get out in front of this and to explain to people what it was all about, because you're literally the first person I've ever heard of who has played this, <laughs> um, except for Dan. And I, I haven't read his review yet, so I don't know how he fell on it, but um, so uh, this sounds really interesting and I have already bought it. So I'm actually thinking about going to download it after we get done with the show, but early, but to follow up with this, and this is, this is from off, off the show. We didn't record this, but uh, I think we were talking on Twitter and you said you, you thought 100% it was not going to be my jam. So why, what made you say that? I think it is not, I think it's not mechanically tight enough for you to get into. And I also think that the story moves perhaps too slowly for you to get into, but I would be more than happy to be corrected on both of those fronts and for you to play this and enjoy it. But when I play it, 
I ju- I feel like it's one of those games that you would play for an hour and you'd be like, I don't know what the fuck's going on, and plus this game's kind of janky, and I'm gonna stop playing it. That's kind of the vibe that I get from <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, that is that is certainly a me thing to say. So that could that could very well happen. I don't I don't think you are wrong in that. But from what you're describing, like it sounds really interesting. And although I do bounce off of like really slow or janky games, if there's if there's a game that manages to like intellectually hook me there i will put up with a lot of bullshit if (laughs) if it's interesting enough to keep my attention you know and this kind of sounds like it i mean maybe not but i you know i have no problem looking past rough edges and you know rough mechanics or any you know weird ideas that don't quite pan out i mean i can i can get through a real rough game as long as it's interesting and it sounds like what you're describing is pretty interesting it is fascinating like i uh, like the the reviews on Metacritic that say it's ambitious are not wrong because there's so much going on. Like, it's kind of a shooter. It's kind of a first person stealth game. It's kind of a horror game. It's a psychological thriller. There's some puzzles. There's like the forensic elements with the phone, and like the story is really abstract, and I can't quite figure out what's going on. And I hope that it's really going to come together. It's just like. It has so many ideas, but it's not awful. Like, this game seems like it has every excuse to be totally awful, but it is not that. And, I mean, it certainly isn't, you know, like I've said, like, six times already. It's not the most mechanically sound game I've ever played, but it is competent enough to be played, and it's definitely keeping me hooked. And I hope, I hope, I hope that by the time I get to the end of the game, it actually all comes together and doesn't just you know, open too big of a can of worms that it can't quite, you know, get itself out of. Cause I'm, that's my biggest worry with the game is that it's kind of like digging its story hole too, too steep and too, or too deep and too abstract. And that it's going to like not be able to get out of it. But I mean, the only way I can figure out is to play more and the game has not done anything that has discouraged me from playing more yet. So I am very much looking forward to uh, playing more of it and to finishing it. All right, excellent. Uh, I like I said, I'm pretty sure I've already bought this. I think I got it on the last sale. Um, I have one review game that I need to play, so I may not get to it right away, and I may end up waiting to hear your final take on it. If you end up, <laughs> if you, I mean, if you wrap this up and you say that it was pretty good, or at least like it was worth playing, like I'll definitely go for it. But if you come back and say that it was like ah, giant bummer, then maybe I'll pass. But I, I, I'm interested. You've got me interested in this. You've kind of sold me on it. Um, if I can work it into my schedule, maybe I'll hit it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to your, your final report. Um, I mean, I have no idea how long it is. You think, I mean, I'm guessing it'll probably be done by the time we record next week, I suppose. Uh, I hope so. I mean, it's so like some of the reviews on Metacritic said it was short, which really baffles me because I'm pretty sure I've been playing it for like, probably like six hours or so. And like, once you get at a certain point in the game, it's kind of easy to tell kind of about how many levels you have left and i still have probably like three or four levels left so and that's not including any like weird end game stuff the game throws at me so i mean i'm expecting this to be maybe like a 10 to 12 hour game and that is not i mean that's not short to me short to me is like one hour but i don't know what these reviewers are talking about about being short but um i'm gonna try really hard to finish it before we uh, before we record next week well, you know, time is relative. I mean, if you if you got a reviewer who's used to playing JRPGs where they're sinking 100 <laughs> hours into them and then they play something that's 10 hours, it's going to seem like a blink of an eye to them. But to us, it's like, oh, God, that's so long. 
Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I look forward to your report. I want. I definitely want to hear more about this. And I am pretty tempted to go and download it once we get off the show here. So we'll see. Maybe I'll sneak it in. Maybe I'll we'll, uh, find some time for it. We shall see. Um, all right, let's move on really quickly. A couple of quick hits from me, and then we get to the real meat and potatoes of the podcast. I'm very much looking forward to getting that. So let me burn through these next couple things real quickly here. Um, quick mention for Assault Gunners HD, which just came to the PS4. It was also on the Vita. I had never heard of this game, despite me really paying attention to the Vita. I'm a little surprised that I'd never heard of it before. I'm not sure if it was a Japan-only release or if it came to the U.S., um, but basically, the reason it caught my attention was because it looks very much like Armored Core. Are you at all familiar with Armored Core, the series, Corey? I am. I don't think I've played one since the PlayStation 1, but I am familiar. Okay, so Armored Core is it's from FromSoft, the makers of the Souls series, but this is what they were doing before Souls was even a thing. So I, I know that a lot of people know them just from their Souls work. They've actually got a very deep library of other games that are not Souls that people just don't really know about because people just don't dig into back catalogs or it's difficult to find those old games because it's hard to find uh, find, find a way to play old games, etc., etc., etc. But FromSoft has a long history of other games that are not Souls. And one of my favorites from them was Armored Core, where you build your own robot. You take like the chest piece, the legs, the arms a thousand different attachments, weapons. You build whatever robot you want and you take it into these levels and you test it out to see how efficient is it. You know, you can build a real heavy tank. You can build a quick runner. You can build one that flies, etc., etc., etc. That's kind of what Armored Core was about. And I have really been hoping that now that the Soul series is taking a break, that FromSoft will maybe get back to Armored Core and give that a proper revival. I think it's probably a good time for that. Um, but in the meantime, I haven't really played a good mech game since I don't even know when. <laughs> so when I heard about Assault Gunners, it looks very much like visually, it looks a lot like Armored Core. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm kind of in the mood for a mech game. It's been a while since I played one. I'm, I'm always up for this. It has the same basic kind of mech design, a little chunky, a lot of spikes, you know, it's got kind of a certain look to it. I mean, these guys have definitely played Armored Core for sure. I would have no doubt whatsoever. Um, they have the same sort of build your own garage interface where you can change parts in and out and move things around different arms, different heads, different guns, etc., etc. And I'm, I'm always in for that. So, uh, PR sent over code, full disclosure, got a code from PR for this and I checked it out and it's just, it's awful. It's just oh, it's no. terrible. It's awful. It's really, it's really, really bad. Oh. Um, the levels are really empty. There's nothing going on. There's no real nuance to the gameplay, which is fine because, I mean, to be perfectly frank, Armored Core didn't have the most detailed levels either. But the beauty of that game was in how your robot responded to how you built it. So, like, if you like to tinker with parts, you would be in hog heaven because there's like 85,000 parts you could tinker on that thing. You could, like, fix your thruster output. You could fit your fix your weight ratio. You could fix your, like, radar circumference. I mean, there's a billion things you could do. So I was like, oh, I hope that, you know, hope that holds true here. Uh, no, it does not. I mean, you can <laughs> you can change a couple parts. I really couldn't tell any effective difference. Like you change legs, and instead of being a completely new set of legs, you just you, you walk a little bit faster, like marginally faster. Um, you know, some of the guns were different, but it was pretty dull, pretty boring, and the levels were just really interminable because um, you would go into this level, and like there would be like a thousand like um, you know grunt robots that you just are kind of mowing down with your guns. 
And then after you mow those guys down, this more appear right in front of you out of thin air and just pop into existence. And you got to mow those down, which was really boring. I just, I don't have any patience for games that do that. Like if you're going to send waves of enemies to me, like make it at least semi-believable that they're coming from somewhere. Like give me some strategic layer. Like maybe I need to, you know, get them in a pincer attack or maybe I can uh, stop them up somehow, or maybe I can get to a more advantageous position. But if enemies are just going to appear right in front of you, I mean, who cares? Like, so what? That's just like the poorest fucking possible design. So you just end up shooting like a bazillion grunt robots. Later on, you'll have these gates where it's like, it's clearly a thing you can walk around or fly over, but you can't because you haven't killed enough robots. So you just kill a bunch of grunt robots. All of a sudden, magically, you can get through the gate for like no real good reason. You just go on. And then, I mean, it's, it was just so boring. It was just so boring. It, it looked like a good game on a YouTube trailer, like watching it, it like it was kind of checking all my boxes, but actually playing it, it was just fucking so boring and so <laughs> awful. And I'm, I am a big mech fan. I love big robots. I love, I love this kind of a game. Like this is my jam. And I just, I literally could not be bothered to fucking get, I think I played maybe like eight level, eight or 10 levels. And the game is like 30 or 40 levels long. And I just, I just lost interest. I just was too bored. So I do not recommend this game at all. Um, I was going to review it and I just, I, can't be bothered to finish it i'm just too bored i just don't want to put the time into it and i own that so i'm instead talking about it on this podcast uh in lieu of any review coverage because i just don't want to play it anymore it's a bad game it's really too simple and too shallow and too boring and it it looks like it's stealing armored cores mojo but it's only looks like there is no substance there really i don't recommend it at all even if you're a hard up for mech action person like me if you're desperate for the glory days of Armored Core, if you're desperate for a really cool mech game where you can tinker with the parts and build your own robot, do not be sucker. Do not play this. Do not get into it. Uh, just just skip it. Pretend like, pretend like it does not exist because <laughs> Assault Gunners is garbage. That was not the plot twist that I was expecting. Oh, uh, were, you, were you thinking I was going to say it was like a little hidden gem or something? Yeah, I thought you were going to be like, oh, and it's great, and I love it, and it's the mech game I've always been waiting for. Not even remotely. <laughs> Not even remotely. It's terrible. Oh, so, all right, moving on to my next couple quick hits. These are games that I have talked about in the past, but I just wanted to take a moment to uh, celebrate here on the podcast. Uh, first off, did I last time we talked about Monster Hunter? Had I finished it by that time, or had I not finished it? You had finished it. Okay. So my wife and I rolled credits a while ago. Maybe I think maybe two weeks ago, possibly. Um, and then we were gonna. I don't know, just like, just keep playing it. But like, we both really lost steam on it. I mean, it's a good game. I really like it a lot. I put like probably 120 hours into it. So it's not like I'm saying it's a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, definitely one of my favorite games this year. Really enjoyed it. But it just doesn't have the legs that previous Monster Hunters have had. I mean, I have put, I mean, when I played Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, which was on the PSP where I had to do that fucked up thing with my fingers, do the claw maneuver to play that game. <laughs> I played that game for like 400 hours, dude. And I could have done more, you know, when I played monster hunter, um, for ultimate that was on the three DS again, not the optimal setup. I put easily a couple of hundred. I mean, I think probably like 300 hours into that and I could have done more, you know, um, we played this for 120 hours and I, I mean, it sounds weird to say that that's not enough of a game. Cause that's, that's a shitload of time, right? I mean, that's a really big game in most respects, but when it comes to a monster hunter, like that's, that's not really all that much. Like you, you kind of expect more from it, but we did all the quests. We beat all the monsters. Um, when you get to the end game, there's just 
the same monsters that you've already fought, but they're just like, you know, tougher, uh, which isn't very fun to me. Like, I don't like when the developers just kind of give you a tougher version of something you've already fought and just, you know, it just it dishes out way more damage and it takes way more damage and it's way tougher. But basically the exact same thing. Like, I just it's not an interesting challenge to me. I just don't enjoy that. So we both were like, eh, nah. And even from a fashion sense, like Monster Hunter traditionally has had a very strong fashion element where there's lots of different outfits, lots of different mixing and matching, lots of different ways to customize your character and your weapon, so forth and so on. But that is just kind of lost here. I just don't really like this, the fashion sense in Monster Hunter World at all. Like it looks too realistic, not outlandish enough, not goofy enough, not silly enough. And a lot of the outfits look almost too similar. Like the weapons kind of look too similar and just, uh, I don't know, just nothing about it is really hooking me. Like I don't want to make the end game outfits because they're, they're kind of ugly and I just don't really, don't really want to do it. So, um, we had a good time. I mean, we really enjoyed it for what it was, but I think we're going to, I mean, we stopped playing it now. We're not playing anymore. Put it up on the shelf after doing basically, I mean, all the normal stuff. We're not going for like the super hard end game grind stuff. We're just like, eh, we're done. And, uh, we'll come back for DLC or if there's more monsters that are added to it. But I, I, I gotta say, I'm kind of surprised it ran out of steam for me so soon. I don't know how other people feel, but it just doesn't have the same legs that the other ones do. I hope that they add some more content to it. Like more monsters would be great. Another couple weapons would be great, but I gotta say like more than anything, and this sounds really strange to say, but just like with the outfits being so ugly, I just don't want to play it anymore. And that is is me i mean i don't know if that's a normal reason to stop playing a game like this but like for me i just if i don't like the way i look i don't want to play it anymore so i hope that they change the style a little bit get a couple different artists get some of the older artists back on the series um but for now we are done we are hanging at monster hunter and that's that's it it's not going to be our year-round game it's not going to be a constant thing we're, we're chipping away at i think we're gonna we're kind of just done with it it's boggles my mind that you can be like oh i played this game for 120 hours and it just doesn't have any legs <laughs> i know it sounds crazy dude but when you compare it to like how much time you usually put into monster hunter when you get into it like it just really kind of fizzled out really quickly so and to be honest it felt really strange that that much time had gone by it didn't feel like that long at all so Oh, well, I mean, it's still good, still um, a great experience. I still recommend it. But I, in, in comparison to other Monster Hunters, uh, I don't think it's my favorite. Like, I really don't. I think it's good. I'm glad they took it this direction. Uh, I'm not trying to shit on it because every time I talk about this game, I like I kind of shit on it and I don't mean to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I, I don't think this is my favorite. I really don't. So anyway, done with Monster Hunter, hanging that up. Uh, probably going to go back to Warframe pretty soon, but we'll talk about that in the future. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is something that I'm way more excited to talk about, is Darkest Dungeon. I talked about this uh, when I got it for the Switch. I uh, mentioned it a while ago. I mentioned I bought it a couple times. I'm kind of a kind of a weird love-it-hate-it relationship with this game. And I always really wanted to um, really just sink my teeth into it and, and just, just get the most out of it. Because I really like it a lot. But it wasn't until the Switch version that all of the stars came into alignment. It was portable. So I could play it in bed, which meant that I didn't have to like take away from console time. I could take it with me to work if I got bored at work. Also, there was a new easier difficulty mode, which changed a lot of things, made it a lot more playable. So kind of like everything was in, in alignment to make this happen for me. And I am extremely proud to say that I actually completed Darkest Dungeon last night, actually finished the game, which a lot of people in my circle were questioning whether it was even possible. 
Uh, I can say for a fact it can be done. I did it myself last night and I am thrilled. I am so over the moon because this is one of those games that I, I had this like grudging respect for. Like I really respected the fuck out of this game, but on the harder modes, like it is really punishing. It's really hard to get through. You get smacked down a lot. It can become a grind. There's a lot of stuff that really was kind of keeping me away from it, even though I really respected so much of like the combat engine and the combat design. I mean, there's a lot of really brilliant decisions going on in there, but it just was too punishing. So now that things lined up and I got to be able to finish it, I feel like this is like an incredible, super awesome achievement that I'm really proud of. Like this is a game where I can be like, wow, I really put in the effort. I really put in the time. I hung in there. And I finally made it happen. And I'm just like, I was really, really excited to be able to say that I finally finished it. Because when I play a game that I like, I really want to, I, you know, we talked about this before. I really want to wrap wrap it up. I want to roll credits. I want to say that I got the most out of it. And this is a game that I really, really liked. And I just felt like I was never going to be able to finish it. So I am thrilled, thrilled to say that I finally uh, rolled credits, got to the last boss, beat the last boss, finished the whole thing. And I, I can say that I actually did like, basically everything you could do in darkest dungeon and i'm just i couldn't be happier about it how many times again did you have to buy this game before you beat it so i bought it four times before i beat it and to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you i bought it one more time yesterday so i bought it five times oh now. my god brad i bought it five times i bought the t-shirt i bought the diorama i will buy the art book when it comes out i'm a fan of this game and I got to say, like, this time that I spent with it, I think, all told, it was about 70, 70 hours it took me to finish it. Uh, going, like, one or two hours a night, like, in bed. So, you know, over the course of two months or whatever. Um, I got to say, I just, I have nothing but the absolute respect for this game because there are so many small little choices, so many small nuances to the design of the combat. You know, which characters you pick, which skills they have, what position you put them in the party what actions you take when you're in the dungeon, when you have to manage their health and you have to manage their stress, and then what kind of enemies are you fighting and what equipment do you have on? And like, there's like so many moving pieces to this game. In addition to the, ste the steep difficulty, in addition to the permadeath, in addition to the random number generator that can, you know, make you really happy or make you really sad. I mean, there's like so many small little things that I learned especially in this most recent time. I just, every time I found something new, I'm like, this is incredible. I've played this game for so long and I'm still learning stuff about it. And I would be talking to people and they would say, oh, you should try X, Y, Z. And I'd be like, oh my God, I never thought of that. And then I would like learn something new. Like I've played this game for so many fucking hours, like all told between all the different versions I bought it on. I probably played it for probably close to 200 hours. And I was still learning stuff every single time I played the game, like still finding new tricks, still finding new things that I didn't know. And I'm like, this is like amazing. Like it is such, it is the greatest game. Like it is an evil game and a punishing game and a hateful game, but it's also like the greatest game. Cause like you keep getting stuff out of it. And I just, man, I just cannot get over it. I just, I love this game so much. I really, really do. And I'm just, I really feel like being able to put a bow on it, um, has given me like immense spiritual satisfaction. Like I feel, I feel like I'm at peace now. I feel like I am now finally living my best life. Like we were talking about in the, uh, <laughs> in the banter section, I feel like I've reached that plateau and I'm like, man, I, I know what love is now, Corey. I understand. I understand everything about life. And so I am, I am the happiest I can be. I feel like I have achieved that kind of Zen Buddha like state where you just, you see all the connections. It all comes together for you. So I, I have achieved that state, Corey. That's where I am right now. 
And I'm assuming that you already have a future tattoo session booked to get your dark darkest dungeon tattoo in the future. Oh, dude, I thought I thought I thought about it. But I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. I may <laughs> I may get a poster made. I may hire somebody to do me a custom poster, possibly. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. So anyway, very, very happy about that. I will also say that I, after rolling credits, the very first thing I did was I uh, activated the DLC. So now I have a whole bunch of new stuff to do in Darkest Dungeon. So even though I finished it, I'm not done with it yet. There's more to learn. There's more to do. And I am looking forward to getting even more out of this game. I mean, I did buy it five times, so I should probably put some more hours into it. So <laughs> anyway, that's all I got to say. I love Darkest Dungeon so much. Um, oh, 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 I didn't even tell you the coolest thing. The coolest thing, well, number one, shout out um, to my Sinclair because she was like totally my cheerleader um, going through the harder sections of the dungeon. Uh, she is an angel, and every time I got stuck or I needed a helping hand, she was there to uh, give me a positive word, so I'm ever grateful. Also, I want to give a shout out to uh, Rowan Kaiser of Twitter who gave me terrible advice, and everything he said was wrong, um, but I appreciate that he was talking to me about it, and I told him that I would win that game for him because he was not able to finish it, and I... I I, uh, I did win the game, and I do want to dedicate part of that victory to Rowan Kaiser. So thank you for your terrible advice, and I'm glad I didn't listen to it. Also, uh, big shout out to uh, the developers of the game, um, who uh, Tyler Sigmund and Chris Barassa, uh, who are at Red Hook Studios. They are on Twitter, and I had been tweeting about this game nonstop, just you know, like kind of talking about my progress, and they had, they had seen me playing it. And once I got like to like the end game, they started tweeting me like, oh, you know, like little words of encouragement, like, oh, you're so close. And oh, you know, like, oh, you're going to do it. And it was really awesome to like have this game, which has been such like a big part of like, I mean, it's been kind of a frustration, kind of a thorn in my side. But at the same time, it's also been kind of a goal I've been working towards. And so like the night that I actually beat the game, like both uh, those guys who were from the studio saw me beat it like in real time. And they were sending me messages, you know, congratulating me and it was so awesome to like know that the people who made this game are watching me play it. And then when I finished it and I was so happy, like they were kind of like celebrating that too. And so it was really awesome to be able to, um, you know, through the magic of Twitter, these developers saw me, you know, fully appreciating this game that they had poured so much of their time and effort into. It was also something that I poured my time and effort into and it all kind of <laughs> came together. So that was a really cool moment. I'm really glad that they, um, it, was, it just made it really super special, you know? So anyway, that was really neat. Uh, so Darkest Dungeon, yay! <laughs> um, <laughs> and now with that um, I got nothing else to say but we still have our spoilerific discussion if I'm not wrong you are not wrong alright you want to give the spoiler warning uh, yes we are um, the time has come for us to talk spoilers on Old Man's Journey and Florence uh, both of which are on iOS. Old Man's Journey is also on PC. I don't think Florence is on PC, but I haven't... Once again, I have not looked that deep into it, so I'm not sure. But if you are interested in either of these games, they're both short indies, um, and you don't want to hear any spoilers, I would recommend turning away from the podcast now. There will be timestamps in the show notes if you want to come back and listen to banter and or listen to us sign off. You can check the show notes, and I will have... Um, this area right here will be the first time stamp. The second one will be whenever we wrap up the discussion and start signing off for the show. So with that said, oh, we can march straight into spoiler territory for Old Man's Journey and Florence. 
Ooh, I am so excited to talk about these games with you. So let's, I mean, you want to start with Old Man's Journeys uh, since you, you have never talked about it on the show yet, have you? I have not talked about it on the show. Okay, let's do that. Tell us all about Old Man's Journey. Quick recap what you thought of it, and then let's spoil the shit out of that. Okay, so I, um, you talked about this on the show like probably about a month ago or so, and whenever you were talking about it, it sounded really amazing, and I almost bought it right then and there on my phone. Um, but then I did not because you recommended playing it on a big screen and I don't have a large phone, um, nor do I have, I mean, I have an iPad, but it's like, oh God, it's so old. It's like seven years old. So it probably like doesn't even work anymore. Um, but friend of the show, Joshua Jackson, he bought it for me on steam. He gifted it to me and, uh, I want, I know I already said thank you once, but thank you so much, Joshua, for being able to, uh, for gifting that to me. So that way Brad and I could have this discussion about it in the first place. Um, so, uh, I'll give a short recap, partly because the show's already fucking long as fuck. And second of all, because you already talked about it before, um, Old Man's Journey is a 2D, it's not really a, it's kind of a side scroller where you play as an old man who gets a letter in the mail and whatever the letter says prompts him to begin his journey to wherever he's going. And kind of the puzzle hook of the game is that you are on these um, sort of like vistas where there's like hills in the background and you have to rearrange the geography of the hills and sort of drag them up and down in order to let the old man kind of jump from hill to hill and then move on to the next scene. And there's other stuff too. Like there's a segment where he's riding a train and you have to like pull like train bridges down and pull like the roads around so that he can keep riding the train smoothly and stuff like that. And every once in a while he will stop uh, for a rest stop and he will reminisce and daydream about something that happened earlier in his life, which leads you to believe that um, those pieces are coming together for whatever journey he's going on to sort of round out his journey. Um, is that a fair description, Brad? That is an excellent description, yes. And, and a very good description, because I found it really difficult to describe how you even play this fucking game. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of bizarre and weird. Not quite a puzzle game. I mean, it's kind of like an experience, but you still got to do stuff. I mean, it's, it's kind of in a weird space. Would you agree? Yeah, it's weird, because it, like, it's kind of a puzzle game, but it's kind of not either. I don't know. It, I would classify it as a puzzle game, but it is not, it's not like overbearingly puzzle-y, but it does take some a little bit of mental gymnastics. True, true, true. So continue. So I um, I did two sessions with this game. I played, um, I started playing it like two or three nights ago and definitely charming. Um, the music's really lovely. Um, the graphics, I mean, it has kind of like a nice like cartoony vibe. It's very lighthearted, um, but it's kind of lighthearted in the way where maybe you might expect the ending to be like really tragic or something because it doesn't really the game doesn't really tell you why he begins his journey. He just gets his letter in the mail and then he starts his journey and then he's off. Um, and I was playing it and I was like, you know, I, w- I thought it was like, all right, I wasn't in love with it, but I was like, you know, this is cute. It's really um, like, uh, like charming, I guess is the big word for it. Like it's really charming. It's really kind of endearing, um, very cute and kind of whimsical in a way. I feel like those are words that I use over and over and over again to describe indie games on the show. Um, but, uh, and so like I got to a good stopping point because I didn't want to, I didn't play it all in one sitting. And then yesterday I started playing it. I got home from work and I started playing it again. And I was at about the halfway point when I started my second uh, session. And <clears throat> I, uh, like I didn't finish it. Um, 
because I kind of got bored with it. Um, okay. Okay. I I think it's a good game, but I got really bored with the puzzle elements of it, and it was kind of one of those games where, like it started giving me a little bit too much friction and I was like, you know, that's enough for me. And so I just kind of stopped playing it. Like I got to one part where they start like slightly folding in more puzzle elements as the game goes on. Like at the beginning, you're just like uh, making the hills go up and down so that he can jump back and forth. And then they fold in this element of like waterfalls where he like, you have to make him walk into a waterfall and then he like slides down. He kind of like slips and like falls down the waterfall um, to like land on a platform underneath. And then they fold in this element of these like stones and these gates where you have to like lift up an area, a a geographical area. And then there's like a stone at the top and then it's a wheel and it like rolls down the hill and then it, it hits like a, like a gate, then it breaks it or like a fence or something. And then they fold in like fucking like sheep that are in the field (laughs) and like you can like kind of walk past them but sometimes you can't and it's like really fucking annoying because if you like tap on the sheep they like move there's maybe like four in a group and they'll like move to a different grassy patch and so the game kind of leads you to believe that you have to like move the group to one grassy patch and then kind of get him the old man between the grassy patches and then like move them like rearrange the geography and then move them back to the first grassy patch but sometimes you can just walk up to them and eventually they'll just kind of like get out of his way and it was really annoying because i couldn't figure out like what the game wanted me to do and like what like it just seemed like a really stupid barrier to have in the game because like we're literally talking about a guy walking past sheep and like that's too much of a barrier for him to walk past, but like sometimes he can and sometimes he can't. And I, I couldn't really understand what was going on. And so that they they were doing a lot of like sheep scenarios. And I, every time I encountered them, <laughs> this is such a stupid thing, but every time I encountered them, I like didn't know what to do and I couldn't figure out what the game wanted me to do. And most of the time I would end up just walking up to them and he would do this awkward, like, like shuffle, like when you're in like the office hallway and like, you try to go right and the person in front of you tries to go right. And then you try to go left and they try to go left. Like that's kind of what was happening. And like, but then eventually the sheep would like move past him. And so I didn't even understand why they were there in the first place, but I eventually got to a part where it was just basically a landscape and I couldn't figure out what to do. And like, I was lifting the grassy areas up and down and I was making them walk back and forth and I couldn't figure out how to arrange them And so I looked on the internet, like I Googled on my phone real quick, like old man's journey walkthrough. And like, I clicked on um, a couple of different websites and both websites I clicked on were all they did was link to YouTube videos, but the YouTube video was like five levels in one video. And it wasn't just the individual level. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Like, I'm not going to sit here and fast forward through this YouTube video to try to find this exact puzzle I'm on because they couldn't split it up and the game doesn't have any type of hint system. So I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. And it just got like a little bit too hard for me. And I mean, the game's fine. Like, I don't think it's like an awful game or anything, but I just kind of got to the point where like, I wasn't enjoying it enough to put up with the friction it was giving me. And I'm also like, I will be the first to admit that I'm not a puzzle game guy. Like there, this is not really like puzzle elements are not my jam in video games. And so it was just like, you know, it was like getting too hard and they were putting too many elements in and I just kind of got stuck on one scenario. And 
Um, and because the game is kind of like such a one trick pony about the geographical rearranging mechanics, I just didn't feel compelled to go forward because I was like, well, I've already done this like 20 times already and now I'm stuck. And once I finish this one, I'm probably just going to do it like 20 more times and it's probably not going to get any more satisfying. So I just stopped playing it. Did you by any chance uh, fast forward and YouTube the ending or did you just call it good there? I just called it good. I thought about YouTubing the ending, but then I didn't. All right. Well, you know, actually, I'm glad that you said that because you basically mirrored um, like all of my feelings. When I talked about it on the show, I was only in the first probably the first half or the first third of the game. Uh, and then it's kind of, I mean, I really, like you said, like you just, the friction that it was giving you just be kind of came too much. I did end up finishing the game and I'm glad that I did, but I absolutely 1000% agree that for an experience like that, when it starts out so breezy and like, you're just like minimal level of interaction, raise a hill, lower a hill. Like it's all super simple. Like you're basically just kind of walking the sky, walk from left to right. Like that is like the level at which I wanted that game to continue. Like I didn't want to be like. <laughs> quote unquote challenged or puzzled i i just wanted to just see where the story was going you know more or less so after we had talked about it on the podcast uh the last time exactly the same thing you said like you're, you're fucking with the wheel you're fucking with the sheep and the sheep i agree are really shitty God, damn it, i did not like the sheep. sheep yeah the sheep suck the sheep really <laughs> suck um i eventually figured them out but i don't think it was very well implemented and i just did not enjoy them at all um and there's, there was one section that I also got really stuck where I just was like raising and lowering the hills and I couldn't figure out like what angle he was supposed to be walking on and like where he was supposed to go. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on? Like, I, <laughs> it's just, it's just like, it's exactly like you said, like the, the level of friction got to be too high for the kind of experience that it was. And, um, it really cooled me off on it a lot. Like, I really think it was too long. The middle was too long. Like there was too much of an effort to give you some gameplay, goddammit, because this is a game and we're going to give you some gameplay. Game's got to have some gameplay. Uh, and I, it just, it really cooled me off. And I'm glad I finished it because I feel like it ended pretty strong. Like, I feel like it kind of got a lot better at the end and I'm glad that I saw it through. But I 100% do not blame you for quitting at all because I really was not enjoying the middle of it either. I wish they had cut a lot of that stuff. And if the game ended up only being two hours, that would have been totally fine. Like, I think it would be much better to have a friction-free experiential kind of story game rather than to give you these puzzles which are not really fun and they're not really they don't feel like you really solved anything it just feels like oh okay thank god that's over let me just get on with what's going on here you know like you don't the puzzles are not the point of it the puzzles are the beautiful art. i mean the point of it is the beautiful art the mood you know the sounds seeing the sky going on his like meditative journey like that's what you're there for you're not there to figure out which fucking hill lifts to which side so that you can get in the other hill. Like that's, they kind of missed the point of like what was making that game beautiful at the beginning. Um, so I am very disappointed that it went astray. I mean, I'm glad I finished it. Um, but that second half or that middle chunk really kind of cooled me off of, I'm not sure that I would recommend it because it, it like you said, it really kind of goes astray. I will say though, since we're spoiling everything, um, what happens when you finally get to the end of your journey is that it's your ex-wife who is there and she is dying. And so oh. your daughter who if over, over the cutscenes of the of the, the game, they show you like your daughter, like you're in love with your wife and then you guys get older. Then you kind of grow apart. The wife is mad at you because you're a sailor. You don't want to give up the sea. And so she takes off 
takes your daughter. And then so like so basically what happens is you've been living by the ocean this whole time. You've been alone. And the letter you get was from your daughter, who is now a grown up. And she's saying, hey, mom is dying. Can you please come? Um, and there's no text or anything. This is all just like shown through like words. I mean, uh, pictures, pictures and, you know, um, gestures and stuff like that. So you finally get to her house. The mom is dying um, on a bed. The daughter's there. She gives you a big hug. I mean, it's obvious you guys haven't seen each other for a long time. Uh, the mother dies. And then you guys have like a real sad kind of bonding moment. And it like really seems like in that moment, like the father kind of like realizes like how much he's missed out on like him not being around. I mean, you basically have not seen your little girl grow up. And I mean, maybe you could have patched things up with your wife. Maybe you couldn't have, but you've been gone for so long. And so um, what happens is you kind of rebond with your daughter. You take her out on a sailing trip and you guys kind of like start to rebuild your relationship. So I thought that part was excellent. And I thought that was really good. And I'm glad that I saw it through because I thought it really ended strongly. I mean, very touching, honestly, very touching, especially um, for someone in my position where, you know, I have a son with an ex and my son doesn't live with me. And so the thought of like me not being around is something I think about like all the time. And so maybe it played a little more strongly with me than it would have with other people. But I mean, I thought that was a really powerful kind of examination of what it feels like to be like a father or to be absent from your child's life or just to have a relationship that's not working out. And then to kind of get to the end of your life and realize it's just you can't get that time back. I mean, that's those are all really strong themes. And I'm really they really came through in the end. But man, that middle section, I mean, that can go jump off a fucking cliff. Like it, it really kind of took away from the power of the game by making you get stuck in that stuff and making you like waste time and fuck around with those hills. And so, so I, I 100% agree with you, dude. I really wish that they had um, not gone so puzzle heavy and simply just shepherd you through the story. That would have been a much better decision. I'm glad that you said that because I... I think, I mean, maybe you didn't say this, but for some reason I thought you had finished it the last time we talked about it. And I was under the impression that I was going to come back to the show this week and be like, yeah, I really liked it. And then I didn't like it anymore. And then I stopped playing it and you were going to be all like sad because you finished it and really loved it. But I'm glad that we kind of had the same take on the mid game stuff in here. Yeah, we are totally in sync on that. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's a shame because I think that could have been a really extremely powerful game if you didn't get frustrated in the middle. But I feel you so hard, dude. Like, that, I mean, the sheep was really the low point for me, honestly. But uh, I mean, just walk just walk around them. Just, just keep going. Like, you know, I've been around sheep. You can get around a sheep. It's not a problem. You can just keep going. That is not a that is not a real barrier in real life. So anyway. Um, OK, it sounds like we kind of ended up in the same place on that one. But we're about to talk about Florence and I am extremely curious to talk about this. I, I had a very good discussion with a wife about this. I feel like we're about to have a good discussion. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Florence. So last time we talked about this last episode, you had finished it and I told you not to spoil me cause I was going to play it. I did go and play it. And so now I've played all the way through it. Uh, and before I got on the show with you, I told my wife to go play it because I really wanted to have the perspective of a woman uh, on what happened here. Do you want to give a recap? You want me to give a recap of Florence? Uh, I gave the recap last time, so you give it this time. Okay, so basically, this is an iOS game. takes about 45 minutes or maybe an hour to finish. Uh, it's definitely a one-sitting game. I took your advice. I played it all in one sitting. I'm glad that I did. I did not have headphones, but I did have the sound on, which was also good advice because I feel like music plays a very strong role in this game. I told you. Um, yeah, no, you were correct. You were correct. I... <laughs> I usually play iOS games with the sound off 99.9% .9 of the time, but I took your advice. And 
it, it would have been a much lesser experience without the sound. So um, for people who can appreciate like the emotion that music can give to a game, I think this has very strong music. I think this music is very good. Uh, my wife also thought the music was great. She actually uh, took longer than I did to finish because she would just pause and listen to the music at certain points because she was really enjoying it as well. So she had nothing but good things to say about the music too. Um, but basically, so what happens is you play as... Florence Yo, I believe her name is, and she is like an Asian girl. I don't know what are, are they in Australia. I'm assuming they're in Australia because the developers are from Australia. Um, and she, uh, I don't know, like she's just like a young, I don't know, twenty, young twenty-something woman. She meets this guy who I, he looks like he's like East Indian or something like that, and they kind of have this romance, and then they fall out of love. And she kind of discovers her love of art in the end. I'm totally like giving that short trip. Um, <laughs> but like I'm, I'm super, super nutshell there. So please, please understand that there's more to it than that. But that's basically the arc of the story and how this works. Like you described last time, it's like comic book panels. And then each panel has some little action that you can do. Like um, you can grab a toothbrush and move the toothbrush around and then that'll brush your teeth. Or there's like a, you're unpacking a box and so you move your finger to open up the box and then take things out of the box or you are looking at uh, you're looking at a painting and so you swipe your finger on the screen to like simulate that you're painting or something. So it's all very, very simple interactions. Um, but the art style is very cute and sweet and the comic book panel style really works well for a game like this. So basically the developers are telling the story of Florence and her boyfriend, whose name I forget, don't know what it is, Krish, Krish? That's Krish, right, Krish. Yeah. And their relationship. So, okay, so I 100% agree with you. I thought this was a very beautiful, attractive game. I think the interface is great. I think the developers are really brilliant in the mechanics because there are a lot of really smart choices here which say a lot without actually saying anything because there is almost no dialogue in the game. There's a little bit of dialogue when Florence is talking to her mom on the phone. Otherwise, there is no dialogue as far as I know. Um, but there's little things that happen. Like one thing I noticed was like when you're doing the toothbrush thing, which was kind of funny, if you go side to side, the, the toothbrush meter fills up very slowly. But if you go in a circle the way that dentists recommend, it fills up a lot quicker. So I thought that was like kind of a, a funny thing. Um, the thing that I was really impressed with was when you're talking to Krish for the first time, you're going on like a first date, there are word bubbles, but the word bubbles are broken up into puzzle pieces. And in the beginning, when you're feeling awkward and you don't know what to say, there's like a lot of little tiny puzzle pieces and you're working really hard to fit them together. But as you go on further dates and as you get to know each other better, like there are fewer and fewer puzzle pieces, meaning that it is well, what I took it to mean was that you know more of what to say or you've got a better feel for each other. And so it's not as hard to get a conversation going. And eventually at the end, you're just like moving entire word bubbles together, like as one single piece that where they're not a puzzle anymore, because then you guys are like more in sync. And so you can really get a feel for each other and you know, like how you are with each other. So like little mechanics like that were great. Um, it carries forward, like later on when Krish and Florence have fight, the shapes of their puzzle pieces like don't even fit together anymore. So like you try to like put them together to make them fit, but they don't even fit, which kind of signify, I mean, to me signifies like, Oh, we're not really getting along or we're not seeing eye to eye on this thing. We're on different levels. And so there's no common ground to be found. So that was, 
I mean, a really clever series of decisions they made that really capture these complex concepts in a very nonverbal, very straightforward, very clever way. I mean, that was kind of your take on it, wasn't it? Yeah, and did you notice, like, that whenever they're arguing... I'm sorry, I was distracted for a second, but whenever they're arguing, um, like, the puzzle pieces are also, like, sharper. Yes, 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 yes. Like, in the beginning, they're kind of rounded, and then, like, when they're fighting, yeah, they're, like, angular. They go from rounded shapes to, like, pointy shapes. And so, yeah, like, it visually conveys like a different tone to them i mean totally totally absolutely um so <clears throat> i liked it very much from a design perspective i thought it was very smart design the music was really strong the art was really strong i liked the comic book panels very very good but what i want to talk to you about Corey, is your interpretation of the story oh. because i got to the end of the story i thought one certain thing i was talking to people on twitter People on Twitter had an absolutely different interpretation of the story. I talked to my wife. My wife had a, an entirely different third <laughs> interpretation of the story. Uh, so I I don't want to say anything because I don't want to spoil it yet, but I want to hear what your interpretation of the story was. So tell us what you think this was about. Um, well, I think, um, uh, first of all, this is the hallmark of a fascinating game. I just want to put that out there first, that there's so many different interpretations that can be made. And... Second of all, um, the way that I interpreted it was, um, you know, there she is in her early 20s. She's kind of in her boring life. She's kind of in a rut. She's trying to figure herself out. She meets this guy. Um, he's a musician. They fall in love. And then, you know, they're together for like a year or a year and a half or however long, however long they're together. And in that course of the year, she... Um, I can't remember if the game... No, yeah, the game um, establishes that she had had an interest in art before being in the relationship with him. And so they kind of both, in what I thought, that they both, like, encourage each other to really, like, go, go, to, go to their passion and to be, like, in their artistic sides. Like, she um, pushes him to enroll in some, like, music university thing where he, like, actually starts going to school for music and, like, in order to be, like, a professional player or something like that. And he buys her, like, this paint kit at one point and kind of encourages her to, you know, really, like, take time to make art and to paint on her own. And that way, um, you know, they can both... I mean, it's like they're, they're trying to be a strong couple and really encourage each other to follow follow their passions and follow what they love. And... Um, and eventually I think that they just, um, just like fell out of love with each other. Like, I don't remember anything specific happening to where I was like, oh, this thing, this big thing happened where like all of a sudden they had like a big falling out. Um, to me, it seemed like they just very naturally kind of like maybe weren't as, um, like adaptable to each other over time or something like that. And like, he was spending more time, um, you know, doing his music stuff and he was be kind of becoming busier in that regard. And then, you know, they kind of just broke up because they weren't, um, as compatible, you know, in a long-term way as that they originally thought they were. And then at the end, she, um, sort of like re, goes after art in a way like she finds the the paint kit that he bought her and then she starts painting again and she becomes like a successful artist um after a certain amount of time and she kind of uses like 
I mean, I don't want to say that she couldn't have been a successful artist without being in a relationship with him, but I think that, um, you know, a good mark of, uh, of, I guess like deep art in a way could be using like traumatic life experiences or just life experiences in general to kind of like fuel what you make. Because if you don't experience anything in life, it's really hard to make things because what are you making if you're not inspired by things? And she really kind of harnessed um, the way she was feeling about her relationship to create uh, different kinds of art, different kinds of painting and was able to harness that and use that to like build, you know, an online store and sort of like, get you know start selling and start getting some getting famous and then eventually she had like gallery openings and then she went on to um you know where the game leaves her off from what i could tell she was you know kind of an up-and-coming successful artist in the city and she was still single and kind of was really focusing on her art at the time and then the game just kind of leaves her off being like successfully doing something that she was always passionate about but had never quite had the time to do and then she like finally made it and now she was happy or we hope she was happy okay so that sounds that makes sense to me that makes perfect sense to me so let me lay these other things out for you here so for me the pivotal point of this game i don't know if you remember or not but florence is talking to her mom and this is after she's gotten together with krish i think it may even be after they're living together and the mom is saying something like, it's like, you don't see what the mom says, but you see Florence's response. And like both of the two responses that you can choose, both of them are either like, no, I'm too busy. Or the other one is like, no, I don't have a boyfriend. Like, but either way, she is not admitting that she has a boyfriend. And so to me, that was like the key thing that really kind of tripped me up about the whole story. Did that stick out to you at all? I remember that, but I don't think <clears throat> it... Um... I don't know. I didn't, I guess I didn't really read that much into it because I feel like it was a situation where she didn't like her mom already seemed to be nagging her a lot. And I feel like that if she would have told her mom that she had a boyfriend that she would have, I don't know, like nagged her even more or like wanted to know when she was getting married and when she was having babies and like all this stuff. So I felt like it was easier for her to just be like, no, I'm not seeing anyone. Like I'm busy. I'm working. Like leave me alone about it. Right. So that is definitely one read on it. Now, so I, I think this is, like you said, the mark of a good piece of art is when it's open to interpretation and people have many different angles on it. Um, and I, I think that's very true here, although I'm not sure if that was really intended. I mean, I'm gonna, I hate to sound like negative or cynical. I kind of don't think it was intended to be that way. I think that maybe it just happened to be that way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the development team really did intend it to be interpreted many different ways. Um, I don't think so, but that's just my cynical guess. But the way I saw that, and this is, so this is, of course, me kind of like bringing my own baggage to the table, right? <laughs> like when, when Florence didn't admit that she was in a relationship, that to me kind of said that she wasn't committed to the relationship. And so that she wasn't really like fully present. And maybe that was what was going on. So maybe she wasn't really trying to make it work. I mean, also, you know, another piece of baggage personal to me is that I'm very much a relationship guy. Um, I feel like I am at my best when I'm in a relationship and I really enjoy being with my wife and I think that it's a very positive thing. So when I kind of got the sense or maybe just my interpretation that she was not really committed to what was going on, it kind of spun her in a different direction for me where she just wasn't really trying hard to get back together. I was actually really kind of surprised that they didn't get back together and it didn't seem like they even really tried that hard. And so I was kind of wondering like, what was that trying to say? Like, like, I mean, like you said, were they just kind of mutually falling apart? But it didn't kind of seem like that. It just seemed like they had a fight and, like, neither one of them really were willing to kind of, like, 
work it out at all, which kind of seemed kind of foreign to my, my existence uh, and my experience. So that was one that was one thing. And then at the end, I guess I just wasn't really clear about like what the takeaway was. So to contrast that, um, I was talking to someone on Twitter and their read on it was that her being in a relationship was oppressive and keeping her down. And it wasn't until she was able to be independent and get away from Krish that she was able to finally realize her dream of being an artist. I didn't see him as oppressing her. I thought that they were kind of more mutually exclusive, kind of like what you said, but that was their takeaway for sure. And I, you know, of course, uh, I'm not going to name names or anything, but I'm assuming that, you know, based on that person's personal experience, maybe they had experience with an oppressive ex or someone who maybe didn't, didn't support them in following their dreams. But I mean, their take on it was very clearly like she was struggling to be an artist. Krish was keeping her down. She had to kick him to the curb. And once she got rid of him and got back on her own, that that was when she really blossomed. So that was one other take on it. Um, my wife's take, which again, totally different from these other takes. Uh, my wife comes to the table with um, mom issues. I mean, her mom is a great person. We get along just fine. But there's no doubt that my wife has some issues with her mom. Um, she's, I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to air anybody's dirty laundry here. <laughs> but I think her mom, I think her mom could have done a better job being a parent. I'm not super approving of all the choices her mom made. Uh, whatever. We're not going to get into that. But basically, <laughs> when my wife was playing this, she saw the phone calls between Florence and her mom as like the real conflict of the game being between Florence and her mom, not with Krish and not with her, not with her art. Like it was like maybe she was trying to get out from under her mom. Maybe her mom wanted her to live a certain life and that maybe she felt like her mom wasn't approving of her art. And so once she got away from Krish, maybe she was sad enough and that kind of was a catalyst for her to really examine who she was. That led her to patch up the relationship with her mom. And then once she was square with her mom and her mom was on board with her art, that was the key that really made her blossom into an artist. And so, like, just between the two of us here and the people I talked to, that's like four totally different takes on, like, what this game is saying and what it means. And I don't know that any of those are correct or uh, or, or what that even means. And I, I kind of think it's cool that you can read so many things into it. But at the same time the crusty cynical salty critic inside me is like i don't think that was on purpose i think it was maybe i think the development team had a very specific story to tell and maybe they didn't tell it clearly enough and so it's left open to interpretation and here we are with four different interpretations possibly more out there so it's kind of like accidentally more interesting than it would have been otherwise i think well i don't like i don't know i feel like if a developer goes into a game and, you know, says like, oh, we're going to make this game so that everybody comes out with a different view on it. I would give that kind of like an air jerk off motion. So like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's better to have, I mean, I maybe I wouldn't, maybe this would be a contextual opinion based on the game, but maybe it would be, I would be seeing a different tune to a different game right now. But I sort of like how, I mean, I guess what I thought was a cut and dry story ended up being, you know, everybody kind of brings their own baggage to it and kind of interprets a different thing. Like, I think that's, um, I think that's a good thing, but I also think it's a better thing that the game didn't seem like that's what it was trying to do. And so I'm certainly not going to sit here and be like, oh, it was a complete accident that like other people had different experiences because like the game in and of itself is simply about like a woman a young woman blossoming in her career and in a relationship. And I mean, when you have subjects that are that broad and that 
personal to different people, of course they're going to bring their own baggage to it. I mean, it's not like the game is an action game where, you know, she, her job is to kill one guy and then leave. Like, you know, there's not really a whole lot of people are going to read into something like that. But whenever you start dealing with universal issues that everybody deals with, you know, whether it be dealing with your parents, uh, you know, your first serious relationship, uh, being at, at a boring job that you don't want to be at, you know, wanting to pursue different passions in life and, you know, art and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's just an easier point of entry for people to bring their perspectives to and sort of come out uh, with different views on things, I think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, for me personally, I, I felt kind of unsatisfied at the end of it because um, my personal read on it kind of put Florence in like a different light than I think maybe other people have put her in, which is fine. I mean, I think it was great that she ended up being a successful artist and stuff. But I mean, just like the steps along the way were kind of just fitting together. The puzzle pieces of the game were fitting together differently for me than they were for other people. Um, so, I mean, like I said, we've got like four different takes, which is, <laughs> which is good. But I, when I got to the end, I kind of was, I kind of felt unsatisfied with it. Like I kind of, um, I just wasn't really happy with where it ended up. And I wasn't, I guess I felt kind of frustrated at like how open it was or, or just like the pieces, you know, filtered through my own baggage, like fully, you know, fully admit to admitting to this. <laughs> Uh, I got my own shit for sure. Like that is, I'm not denying that whatsoever, but like playing that game through my own baggage, like kind of left me with a kind of a bad taste in my mouth. Um, but I think it's an amazing game. Like, I think it's very well put together, very smart decisions, very clever, um, artistically, very strong music, very strong. I just think that like the narrative element for me, you know, through, through again, through my personal filters kind of made me come away with a different idea of what it was clearly than, than what you did or clearly what my friend on Twitter did or what my wife did. So interesting, interesting that it happened. I mean, definitely a good discussion piece. Um, I'm very curious to see what these guys do in the future. Yeah, me too, because the development team, like this is their first game and it's literally like four people. Yeah, for sure. So they've, I mean, I think this has been very well received. Um, they got a pretty good publishing deal with a well-known publisher. So it's not just them putting it out on the app store by themselves which I feel like has probably guaranteed them a certain level of success. They certainly made their way into the critic discussion. Um, I mean, I, I saw people for like maybe like a week and a half solid, like really talking about it, which maybe doesn't sound like that much, but in terms of the Twitter sphere, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good um, impact, especially for like an iOS game. So I feel like people took note of it and I feel like it's probably pretty successful. So um, yeah, I mean, I wish these guys luck. I really admire what they did. I mean, it may not, I don't mean to say that I don't like the game. I think it is a great game. I just think that like the story kind of like hit me in a weird place. But overall, I mean, I think a really strong debut and uh, a very good display of skill and uh, and planning from these guys. Very impressive debut. Can I tell you about the part of this game that really fucked me up? Please do. <laughs> so there comes a point in the game where um, Florence and Chris are getting very... Um, or like getting serious and they're starting to move in together. And there's one sort of like comic panel level where you were on, he moves in with her. So you're unpacking his stuff into her house or her apartment. And there's a scene where you have a box and it's like her bookshelf and you have to decide what you, it's like a perfect example of like compromising and cohabitation because you have to decide what all of her stuff you want to keep and then what all of her stuff you want to put in the box so that way you can put his stuff out and you sort of like and the game doesn't make you like 
do like 50% his stuff and 50% her stuff. Like you, you can kind of have a, you can do whatever you want. Um, you know, put some of hers, some of his, or maybe more of hers or what have you. And then the next panel, they do kind of the same thing in the kitchen. And it's like, you're like the rice cooker and like the seasoning and the pots and pans. And you're like unpacking his stuff into, um, into her space. You have to decide what stuff of hers you want to get rid of in order to put his stuff there. And I was being very thoughtful about splitting the stuff because it would have been easy to put like two of his things on her empty bookshelves and then be like, okay, that's good enough. But like when I was playing, like I got rid of some of her stuff. I put more of his stuff on the shelves and the same thing with the kitchen. Like I got rid of, I don't know, her like seasonings and put his rice cooker there or something like that. It was really trying to keep things even. And then um, later on in the game, whenever they decide to break up, you have to start packing his stuff up in the boxes and um, whenever I was packing his stuff away, cause it keeps, it remembers what you put on the shelves. And then it made me realize how like, it was like a pure physical manifestation of taking him out of her life and realizing how empty in a way her life looked and how much, um, she was willing to sacrifice to be able to cohabitate with him in order to give up her space for him to put things there and then you have to go back and undo all of that and take his stuff out and leave. Um, that uh, really got to me. <laughs> and did that echo something that you've done in your past? Not really. I mean, I've never had a situation like that, but there have been times um, in my relationship with Patrick where I've considered like, you know, we've spent so long building our lives together that, you know, like, say down the road, if we ever did break up or if we got a divorce or something like that, or if we ever, like, split up or something, like, thinking about how long we've spent building our lives together and, like, our physical items together and, like, what it would look like to have to split that stuff up and have, like, and then have the holes that we would have to fill in. And so it was a way for me to, like, almost, like, proactively but not in a good way <laughs> like envision that kind of scenario and it made me feel really awful and really bad for both of the characters and then I cried for like a half an hour that was a really um really good moment I mean I didn't cry at any point during this game um but I did think it was really well done and I think that they did manage to capture a lot of the moments that anyone uh, who's going, who has been through a relationship or who's had a relationship has probably, has probably encountered. I mean, when you move in with somebody for the first time, it's not too far off from what they capture in the game. So I think they did a really good job of that. And that particular scene where you mentioned where you got to put stuff on a shelf, what stuff of hers do you want to put away? What stuff of, of Chris's do you want to put up? How do you balance that? What does it look like? Um, really good moment. Um, interesting. I, I balanced it pretty well. I thought try to be fair to both sides. Uh, sadly, though, when it comes time for Krish to move out, they did not remember the stuff that I put there. It was different than the way that I had arranged it. So I kind of just chalked it up to them living together longer. So like Krish eventually taking more space. But like, I think I ended up leaving like most of her stuff in and just a few of his things on. And so when it came time to put stuff away, it was different. And so it didn't quite feel the same. But like, it was still a good moment, though. Like the feeling of packing things away, of separation, of that detaching is still really powerful. And I guess that was one reason why I was kind of disappointed at the end because, I mean, not like everybody needs a relationship. I'm not saying that, but like, it seemed like they were genuinely happy together. And I, you know, the game doesn't tell you why they're arguing. Like there's no dialogue. It's just like the motions of what they're doing. You can see their faces. And um, there's one really, really effective section where it's like a picture of Krish hugging 
Florence, but it's ripped up into like a bunch of pieces and you try to put it together. And every time you try to put it together, the pieces kind of like keep falling apart. Oh, and like, God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh like you're, you're, you're struggling to like put the pieces together, you know, as like kind of saying like you're trying to keep the relationship uh. together, but no matter how hard you try, like it's falling apart. Like that was really super effective. That was very powerful. I thought that was very smart and it really got to me. Like it was saying a lot without saying anything at all. So I thought that was really wonderful. Um, but I guess I just, I just wanted them to try more, you know, like as someone who is really committed to relationships. And again, this is my baggage coming through. Like, again, I'm like, this is my filter where I'm like, why did you guys quit? Like, why did you guys not keep trying? Like, what was the deal? Why was this so unfixable? You know, like, I guess, I mean, I, I had hoped that they would both blossom. I mean, he would follow his music. She could do her art. Why wouldn't you be happy together? It seems like you guys are kind of on the same page. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it, the game kind of didn't go where I kind of wanted it to go. And so, I, you know, again, not not how I would have scripted that. But yeah, I don't know. Kind of definitely hit me in a different way. But those those sections are very powerful, um, very smart, very good. So I even though they didn't quite land with me, I, I recognize them for for being as powerful as they are or, or could potentially be. Yeah. And like I... I mean, I think I was, maybe it's because I crave, like, depressing stories. Like, I was pretty happy that they didn't, like, uh, stay together. Like, I mean, I think what it kind of said to me is that some things are just unfixable. And some people, no matter, even if they seem like, and even if they were happy together for a long time, like, maybe there's something down the road where they fall apart. I mean, like, whenever we were talking about... um, this is going to be foreshadowing to the banter because we already talked about it, but it's, you know, in the time loop of the show, like it's kind of the same thing that happened with my uh, college uh, professor, um, Lanya, like she moved to London to pursue a teaching career there. And she told me that whenever she came back for the first time uh, to the States, after she had been teaching there with a few months, she had basically completely fallen out of love with her husband and that she didn't hate him and she didn't dislike him. And there was no like animosity, but that she had been out, living her own life and doing what she finally wanted to do with her life. And that, um, you know, she just wasn't in love with him anymore. And that, you know, it's, you know, I kind of viewed the game like that where not at, no matter how long you've been together, sometimes relationships, they reach a point where they're just unfixable. And I'm kind of glad that the game didn't try to like, that it didn't really like beat her on the bush with like showing them try to get back together and breaking up and getting back together and breaking up. And I mean, maybe that would have added some more like intense emotional weight into it, but I don't know. I was pretty happy that they, that they, it was just kind of like one fight and they were done. Cause I thought that fight might've represented much more that happened in the relationship that would have been too tedious to put it into the game itself. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're very possibly right. I mean, the game itself is like, 45 minutes or an hour. I mean, I, I wouldn't really have wanted it to go any longer than that. I feel like it was just the right length. So it's not like I wanted it to be twice as long or anything, but I don't know. I mean, just like for me personally, I'm like, man, one fight, you guys are done. Like, what the fuck? Like that is, <laughs> you guys call it quits awfully soon. I mean, maybe, maybe one more fight would have done it for me. Maybe it wouldn't have. I mean, it's, it's probably just a personal thing. I totally get what you're saying though. I mean, and I know that some people, you know, maybe they weren't meant to be together or maybe they just, had different goals. I mean, not every relationship works out and that's fine. And I'm not saying that everybody has to work out or, or not that anybody even needs a relationship to begin with, but just <laughs> how this game landed with me. I was like, man, you guys calling it quits. You look so happy and one fight and you're done. Like what the fuck, man, you guys are quitters. What the hell? So anyway, so uh, anyway, I mean, the fact that we're even having this discussion, I think says very much about Florence uh, in general and about these developers. So um, I think 
that probably bodes pretty well for these guys. Um, we will keep an eye. Did we ever? Did we ever announce what their studio's name was? Uh, is it? Are they Mountain? Is that what it is? I think it's Mountain. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah and they're published and they're, by Annapurna Interactive. Yeah, Annapurna is making a pretty good push in the indie scene. They're, they've snatched up a bunch of really cool indie titles. I'm sure that we will be talking more about their games in the very near future. They kind of went from being like um, point and clicky kind of publishers and something switched and they kind of like segued laterally into indie games. And I think that's a really good move for them. They've been making some really good choices. So I think it was smart of them to snatch this one up. Um, and it's not very often that we have this like extremely lengthy discussion uh, which is so personal about a 45 minute iOS app game, <laughs> probably the first time in so video games history. So I think that says a lot about what we thought about Florence. So despite all the different perspectives and how open it is, I think that says a lot about the quality. Yeah, so would I you agree so. with that? Totally. Totally. All right. Cool. 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 I got nothing else to say about Florence, although I do recommend it for three bucks. I think it's worth it for anybody with an, uh, compatible device to check it out. Would you agree with that recommendation? Absolutely. All right. I think that is good. Uh, anything else or should we bring it home? I think we can bring it home. All right, sir. Take us there. All right. Well, everybody, this is the end of the spoiler section. Just heads up. Right around this time is where the timestamp will be for the show. Uh, so if you've listened this far, thank you. Um, that brings us to the end of episode 75. Uh, remember, if you want to stick around after the show, if you have come back around to us after the spoiler section, we will have banter after the show. Um, I give some updates on my eye rash situation from a couple weeks ago. Uh, Brad talks about uh, Jessica Jones season two and some other stuff and about Jumanji and some movies and stuff like that. Um, so that's some of the stuff we'll be talking about later, among other things. If you don't want to listen to that, um, that is A-OK. You can bail right now and come back for episode 76 next week when it's out. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, remember that you can leave us any of your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, uh, show ideas, games that you'd like us to play, anything like that. Uh, we are on email at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments directly to the show on Game Critics' website whenever it goes up. Uh, Brad is pretty good at checking those and moderating them. Um, I, uh, why did I say I? I didn't mean that. Um, we can, uh, you can also catch us on Twitter. Uh, our show is at so Video Games on Twitter. And you can also reach us individually, which is undoubtedly the best way to get a hold of us. Uh, I am on Twitter. It's my first and last name, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Brad, what's your username on Twitter? Uh, my username is my real username. It's Brad Galloway, <laughs> B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Yes, you're, I was going to say your God-given username, but I guess it's kind of like your parent-given username. There is no God, Corey. <laughs> God did not give me this name. <laughs> well, those are our Twitter handles, the best way to get a hold of us, um, but you can use the other ones as well. We Between Brad and I, we monitor pretty much everything, so... Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode. This has been a long episode. Uh, we will be back next week with episode 76. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time.
are. Another Tuesday, another So Video Games banter section. You want to go first, man? Do you want me to go first? What are we doing? What's the plan? Um, it doesn't matter. I have a few things to talk about, and I'm sure you do as well. I've got many things to talk about, actually. <laughs> there, I'm actually very excited to talk about our stuff on the show today because I am prepared to talk about our topics. Also, uh, in reference to the Florence, um, I'm actually super excited to talk with you about that because before the show, I asked my wife to play it also because I wanted her perspective. Mm. Things how we are both dudes and I'm like, well, we should probably get like a lady to get her perspective on this. And so she had some very, very interesting things to say. So I'm very excited to talk about that. But um, we got other rando shit to talk about. Let's talk. Let's let's bring it to you first, Corey Motley. I am very concerned <laughs> as the dad that I am. I was very concerned about your optic health. I want to hear all about what happened with your eyeball. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I didn't think this was going to be. A, a big thing, but it's funny because I talked about, you know, my like rash on my eye in passing a couple of weeks ago and like, um, who was it? Was it my Sinclair that wrote in and she was like, oh my yeah. God, like you need to get it checked out. And I thought that was so funny. Like I didn't really think anybody would care about it. The but... listeners totally care about you. You were 50% <laughs> of the show. I mean, it would still be a good show with just me, but it's better with you. So we need to have you, we need to have you aboard. Got to keep that eyeball healthy, man. And that was very sweet of my also to show. It was, it was. I'm confident that I could produce a, I could, I could be nearly as good on the show if I only had one eyeball than if I had two eyeballs. (laughs) Oh dear. Oh dear. (laughs) Let's not put that to the test. But what happened? So you went, I harassed you about it. You went to the doctor. What happened? I did. I ended up making a, I took your advice and I made just like a primary care physician um, appointment instead of going to a dermatologist first. And like full disclosure, I have not been to, I'm 29. I have not been to a doctor since I think I was a junior in college, which would have been about 21 or so. Wow, like eight years you haven't been to see a doctor? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the last time I went to the doctor, all I did was go in, because I've had asthma since I was like 10, and all I did was go in to the student health center at my university and kind of like get like a brief like asthma checkup so I could get uh, a new inhaler and end up getting two inhalers at the time. Um, But uh, so it wasn't even like a serious thing. Um, I'm just like... You know, I'm just like one of those people, and this is probably pretty common in America, especially with, you know, American healthcare, because you never know what you're going to get whenever you go to the doctor and you never know how expensive it's going to be. But like even with insurance, like I would never do a yearly checkup. I would never go in to do like routine, like blood work or whatever. I was just always like, okay, well, like I feel good. So I don't feel like I ever need to go to the doctor. So I'm the kind of person that only goes if there's like something wrong. And a rash on your under eye is definitely, you know, perhaps something you should get checked out. The good news, okay, so I went in, I made an appointment. Um, there's a a network of hospitals in New Orleans. I don't know if there are other places, but there, it's definitely big in New Orleans. It's called Oshner. It's like O C S H N E R, and they have like a big campus that's like right in the middle of my commute to work, and then they have like different offices all over the place. And I ended up making an appointment with um, someone I had never seen before that was not on the main campus, but that's beside the point. And I went in, and 
Wait, wait, wait. I, are you currently insured? Do you have insurance right now, or what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I have insurance because uh, I got married, so... Um, so you got yeah. it through your spouse, as, as as many people do. Okay, so that's fine. Yeah. So you're actually insured. That's good. <clears throat> One of the lucky ones. All right, yes, proceed. Yes, I have. I do have health insurance. It's... It's a fucking shame that in the United States of America, you have to get married to have insurance if you don't have a job otherwise, or you have to pay out the ass for like a different, like other, you know, individual insurance if you don't have a job. And if you don't have a job, then how are you paying for insurance in the first place? But this is not a healthcare debate. So let me just tell a story about my eyelash. Um, so, so I go in and the good news is that it was nothing very serious. It was not ringworm. And I told her that that's what I thought it was. And she like dismissed that pretty quickly. And based on what I had told her and based on what she had looked at, you know, on my face, like with her little like flashlight and stuff, um, she, I can't remember what it's called, but it wasn't an attractive name. It was like two names that ended in like itis or something. So I can't remember like, you know, what it was called, but it's basically like this, just like a, a pretty common skin rash. And she showed me some pictures. She like literally like Google image searched it while I was sitting in the office on the computer. And I was so nervous that it was going to be like, like she was going to bring up an image search and it was going to be pictures of guys with like half their faces covered in this like giant red rash or something. But, and like, I told her she was like typing it in and I was like, is this going to scare me? Am I going to want to see this? And she was like, no, it should be fine. And she was right because most of the pictures that came up, um, it's kind of like a rash that happens, uh, pretty often where you have like creasing in the skin or like folds in the skin. So like there were a lot of pictures of people and it was like right on their noses, kind of like where the nose meets the cheek and, um, it happens under beards a lot on guys. So there were like a couple pictures where it was like kind of like red skin and kind of flaky under the beard. Um, and then there was one picture of a guy and it was like right on his scalp line, like on the front of his forehead. Um, and that picture looked almost exactly the way that mine looked on my eye. But she gave me a couple of different uh, like steroid creams. She gave me a steroid cream. Um, and something else. And one of them is only for like if it's itchy, because I told her that sometimes it was itchy, but not very often. So I got like an itch cream and I got like a cream that's supposed to help it. And I've been using it for, I guess, like four or five days now. And it's not fully healed, but it is like probably about 80% of the way there. So it's not flaky anymore. It doesn't burn. It's much less red. It's almost back to being flesh colored so i can nearly declare victory over my eye rash at this point oh good well i'm glad that worked out i'm glad that that advice that i gave you panned out you know a lot of things <laughs> can really be headed off uh at your pcp uh these days i know that you know medical is a big issue in america it's a real fucked up issue and politicians don't know and doctors don't even know sometimes but you know we need like we need to just kind of debate this as, as a society we need to really get that in shape but that aside i'm glad that you went to your pcp i'm glad you got your skin looking like skin again i'm <laughs> glad that it's not ringworm because jesus christ and uh i'm glad it all worked out so i'm i'm very pleased to hear that you are on the road to recovery 20 percent left to go on your your eyes download bar and you'll be all set <laughs> indeed and i actually have like a slight tangent um off of the story from going to the doctor too and and like this isn't anything terrible i didn't go in and find out that i have like cancer or anything but i went in and you know like when you go in you see like the nurse first and like like the first thing they do every fucking time is weigh you you have to step on the scale and it oh, has yeah. been it has been so long since I've stepped on a scale. And I mean, there was a time in my life, like a couple of years ago where I was working out like pretty, I mean, I wasn't doing like super duper vigorous workouts, but I was like 
going to the gym probably like five nights a week. And I mean, usually I would just like run for about 30 or 45 minutes on like an elliptical or something, maybe lift some weights and stretch and then leave. Um, and cause that's like back whenever I was listening to, um, Carlos's podcast that you were on all the time, I would basically like cue that up every night when I went to the gym and I would listen to it. Um, but I have not been working out for a very long time. And I know when we talked about buying pants a few times ago on the show, I had mentioned that I had been getting like fatter as time had been going on. I mean, obviously, because <laughs> I'm not working out. I'm not like I just got a job. So I've been pretty inactive for a while. Um, and I drink a lot of beer and I don't eat very well. So I step on the scale and I weigh I ha- I currently weigh more than I've ever weighed in my entire life. And I weigh 194 pounds. So I'm like inching up on 200 pounds and i mean this is a very like middle-aged thing for me to say but like if i could go back to me in high school that weighed like 130 pounds and say like hey guess what when you're almost 30 you're gonna weigh like almost 200 pounds like you need to get your shit together um i would have never believed it so i have decided to start putting some safeguards in place in my life to help me lose weight i am going to I'm going to start modest, and if necessary, then I will, like, crank them up a little bit. But right now, I'm going to only drink alcohol on weekends because I used to have pretty much, like, a beer a day or at least a mixed drink a day, one or the other. So I'm going to reserve alcohol for weekends. Um, I'm going to get the university that I works that I work at has a recreation center or, like, a gym, if you will, and staff members get um, discounts on it. So I'm going to sign up for my university gym and Patrick and I have started taking walks in our neighborhood after work. So whenever he gets home from work, instead of us just sitting our fat asses on the couch and talking about what we did at work that day, we go outside and we walk like a few miles down. There's like a levee, like literally right down the street from our house. So we just like walk down the levee and like talk about things and then we walk back to the house. So hopefully I will be on the road to losing a little bit of weight soon. Well, it's interesting you bring this up, and this is a good entry for this week's Aging Gracefully. because Oh, yeah, I meant to say that at the beginning, and I forgot. Damn it. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I got you covered there. Um, because <laughs> I'm kind of, I've kind of had the exact same issue. Um, I am also at the heaviest weight I've ever been. And I just like you, in fact, we're almost exactly in the same neighborhood. And in fact, last time that you were here, we're pretty close to, we're pretty similar in height, aren't we? We're basically the same height. I, I this see is true. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty close. So. Um, and so I'm inching up on 200. I'm not quite to 200, but I am probably like in the 195 area. And my usual, like, you know, in high school and after high school, when I was single, I was hovering around 125, 135. That was kind of my normal, like base weight. So I definitely feel like I am heavier, but I don't feel like I'm like giant, like fat and huge. I mean, (laughs) I could definitely lose a couple pounds, but to be honest, like, I kind of feel like I've kind of filled out a little bit. I always felt like I was, I, I, it's funny you mentioned this because. Um, a friend of mine who I went to college with, uh, I just was texting her a while ago. We hadn't talked in like a year or something. And uh, she lives in the area. She's got a kid. She's uh, doing well. We're in the same line of work, which is how we met originally. Um, but she sent me a picture of our like graduating class from college. And I looked at myself in my picture. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I look so <laughs> skinny and thin. And I'm like, you know, I mean, I was thinner and I was smaller. But to be honest, like, I don't necessarily think that I looked better. Like, I think I look OK. Like, I think I look like how a good, healthy-looking 40-year-old dude should look. Like, I'm not huge and fat, and I'm not, like, super skinny and lean. I mean, I certainly don't have a six-pack or anything, but I feel like I look pretty normal. Like, I feel like I look okay. So I'm not, like, super upset about it. Although, you know, a couple pounds off, if I was going to go to the pool or something, I wouldn't mind looking a little more trim or whatever. But 
Um, I I mean, we're kind of doing the same thing. Like, I've really started to cut back on sugar. Uh, I know that uh, sugar was... I mean, it, it's kind of like the, the food trends in America. Like, for a long time, everybody was so focused on fat and cholesterol, and we weren't really paying attention to sugar. I mean, there was diet drinks, but it wasn't really, like, a huge focus. But now that more research has come out and the, the trends have kind of changed, people are, like, not really paying attention to fat so much as they are about sugar. So I'm really trying to cut back on sugar and noticing like how many times a day I will have like a sweetened coffee or if I'll have like, you know, like a little scoop of ice cream or something. Not often, but you know, every, you know, once in a while, like one, one or two spoonfuls out of a Ben and Jerry's tub is often enough to get me through the night, you know? So (laughs) it adds up after a while. Um, so I'm kind of cutting back on sugar. We also are going to try to go out and do um, long walks. There's a lake that is nearby. It's called Green Lake. And it's a really cool lake. Uh, it's very flat. And there's um, a paved trail that goes all the way around. It's a very popular spot for people who live here in Seattle. I mean, it's, it's packed every single day. So we're going to try to go like every Friday. I think if you go around the lake once, it's like 3.5 miles or something like that. Which is not a huge distance, granted, but it's like, at the moment, I'm getting like zero exercise because it's like, I'm working, 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 working. When I'm not working, I come home and I collapse and I'm exhausted. And if I actually have some energy, I either want to like play some game or spend time with the family. There's just like, there's just not a lot of time for like gym work right now. And, you know, I talked to some people and, you know, who are in better shape than me, obviously. And, you know, they're always like, oh, you got to make time for yourself. You got to go to the gym. So important. And that's true. But at the same time, there are only 24 hours in a day. Nothing you can say is going to change that. And if you take three hours a day out of your day for the gym, that three hours has to be taken out somewhere else. You either are sleeping less, you are, you are not spending that three hours with your spouse or your kids. You are not. There's something else that you're not doing. And if your life is flexible enough that you can carve out those three hours or two hours or whatever and still get all your needs met, that's great. But like in my position where I work a shitload, I have game critics to do. I've got a family and I have all these other responsibilities. It's like finding that time is so impossible. Um, And I just don't, I mean, I guess it's kind of a shitty thing to say, but I just don't feel like I'm fat enough or unhealthy enough to take away time (laughs) from other things. Um, Not like I'm saying I want to get there, but anyway, we're going to try to do Green Lake every Friday, at least once or twice around the lake, just to get out there, you know, get a little exercise, fresh air. It's not going to hurt. And, uh, you know, it's fine. But uh, along with that, a, a couple things. I mean, I went to the doctor and, you know, I'm, I'm classified in my doctor's chart as morbidly obese. And I kind of took offense to that. I know that medically it's a very specific kind of um, criteria, but it sounds terrible. I mean, it sounds like you're so fat you're going to die is what it sounds like, which I don't feel like I'm anywhere near that. OK, I'm not even in little in a little rascal territory. I'm not anywhere near a scooter, so I don't feel like I'm on death's door because of my tummy bulge. So, you know, it sounds terrible. But I think the standards for what qualifies as obese is fucking ridiculous in this country. I just think we need to get a grip on that because one size doesn't fit all. And I think the BMI is just off. And I kind of take the BMI is so it's like the worst, like most outdated way of measuring your body fat. Like, I mean, you can be like five, eight and weigh like 170 pounds and be classified as obese. It's so stupid. Yeah, it's a fucking joke. Like I see people who look like they're in really good shape and who are like obviously like very attractive. And you would say that they look like they got it together and they're classified as obese. And I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. There's no way. There's literally no way. Um, So anyway, fuck, fuck the medical viewpoint on weight. I just 
I, it's a thing, and I mean, weight is a concern. I mean, and there's a lot of health concerns that go along with it. But at the same time, the standards we hold ourselves to and this, the way that we look at ourselves in relation to weight, it, it just needs a real big adjustment. Um, one other thing, since we're talking about uh, being fat, I, uh, <laughs> there's this guy I know who is from Russia, and uh, I've known him for many years. And he, I haven't seen him for a while, and he showed up uh, at one of my jobs. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? And the first thing he said, he's like, oh, my God, you're so fat. And I'm like, well, thanks. I appreciate that. It's good to oh, see you, geez. too. Welcome back. But the, the very next thing he said was, he's like, he stopped and he looked quiet for a second. And he's like, you must be living a pretty good life. And I'm like, you know what? Ah. Yes, I, yes, I fucking am. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, he looked kind of sad in the moment. He's a lonely guy. Doesn't have anybody in his life. Hasn't had anybody for a long time. Um, you know, he's got a lot of health concerns. And he's, you know, he's he's probably not as happy as he wants to be so it was kind of a weird moment where like you know he's kind of commenting yeah i've put on i don't know like 30 pounds since the last time he saw me but at the same time you know like there was other stuff that he knows that i'm married he knows my wife's a good cook he knows i got kids and so you know he just kind of like him saying that kind of negated the offense that i took at him calling me fat because it was (laughs) like he just kind of realized like yeah you know that's that goes along with having a good life you look like you're living a good life you know and i was like yeah yeah i am I am living a good life. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'll be fat. I'll take that. Yes. So anyway, let's be huge, Corey. This is the Huge Guy Podcast. Big boys. Big boy podcast. Oh, going God. Right now. No, <laughs> I refuse to be a part of the big boy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We can still keep it the uh, the two guys who cry at movies podcast. That's our alternate name. That's true. And cry at video games, because we're going to be talking about that today, too. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. What, so I'm looking at the notes. A spoiler, a little peek behind the So Video Games curtain for people who are listening. We do a little We do a little prep script every week. We have notes and stuff. And I didn't jot down my banter notes this week, but you did. And I see something here. Meeting with Lania Knight? <laughs> who, who is this person? I meant to Google her before I got on here, and I forgot. What is, what's this thing you're talking about here? Okay, well, I just wanted to drop a quick note about this. So, um, her name is actually pronounced Lanya, which is kind Lanya. of... Lanya. Yeah, Lanya. It's L-A-N-I-A, and her last name is spelled Knight, which is like a knight in shining armor. Um, Lanya Knight. So, she is... My freshman year of college, she... I took... She was one of my instructors, and she was working on her master's degree, and she was teaching in, um, like, creative writing departments on campus, and... I took my very first creative writing class ever, and it was Intro to Nonfiction Creative Writing. And I took it, I think, my second semester of my freshman year. And um, it was basically just like a big workshop class. Like, there were probably about 20 or 25 people in the class, and we would have nonfiction, um, like essays and stuff that we would read every week or for every class period, and we would discuss them. And we had like three. I think three big essay assignments that semester and we did like journaling and like exercises and stuff in class. And I really liked, uh, Lanya a lot. She was a great uh, instructor and I went on to take an intermediate nonfiction writing class, but it was not with her. And I later on, I took, or I started taking an intro to fiction creative writing class that she was taking. But at the time that class was like not Um, it wasn't important for me and it also met at eight o'clock in the morning. So I dropped out of it after like a week. Um, but during my nonfiction class, she was writing her first novel and it was called three cubic feet and you can actually buy it, uh, like today. It's like a novel that's out. Um, 
And whenever she was drafting it, she asked me specifically if I would read her draft of it and then uh, provide her with written and like a like meet for coffee and have like feedback about it. And this was kind of like the first time I'd, I'd ever done anything like this. And I was like 18 and like young and like didn't really know what was going on. But the book, the reason why she wanted me to read it is because the book is kind of like a teen gay romance novel. And... She's very into, like, LGBT culture, and she is a straight, uh, cisgendered, um, you know, heterosexual woman, but she, uh, I mean, I can only assume that throughout her life she's probably had a lot of gay friends, or maybe she, like, really identifies well with, like, gay men or something like that, um, but she's very fascinating. So I read her book, uh, a manuscript of it, whenever she was writing it, and then we met, and I gave her feedback, and she ended up getting it published, and whenever, after I had graduated, she had like a reading for it um, at an art studio in town. And like, I went to her uh, reading for it and I bought a copy of it there. And um, and it was kind of like her like local launch kind of thing. And she's been overseas for a while. And like, we're friends on Facebook and, uh, but we don't really like talk a lot. It's just kind of like, a, you know, I mean, you're friends with like 500 people or whatever. And she's just like somebody who pops up, but she seemed to be traveling a lot. And last week, she posted a picture of a po'boy on her Facebook feed, which is like a New Orleans native sandwich. And I saw it and I was like, okay, I thought she was like in London or something. Like maybe they like have them over there. And lo and behold, she was in Kenner, Louisiana, which is about 15 minutes northwest of where I live in Louisiana. And so I messaged her and I was like, hey, like we should like, what are you doing here? Like we if I don't know how much downtime you have, but we should meet like I'd love to see you. And so we ended up meeting downtown last Saturday, or maybe it was last Friday. Um, Yeah, I think it was Friday after work. Um, And it was just really nice to see her. And the thing that I really like about her is that she's like, she's probably like in her mid to late 40s. And she has been married twice she's been divorced twice she has two children who are both like one i think is like around 19 and the other is in his mid-20s and she's sort of one of those people who like has endured a lot over her life and she has kind of been very selfless for her entire life and has devoted a lot of her life to Uh, you know, taking care of her kids and kind of like being, you know, there for her husbands. And I don't mean that in like a subservient way, but that's just sort of like how she was. But keep in mind, she was working on her bachelor's and like master's degrees at the same time. So she was definitely like doing some stuff for herself. But she was telling me over the majority of our conversation over coffee last weekend about how now that she's like single and she's she is teaching at a university outside of London now. So she's like overseas. She bought a house in like outside of London and she's like teaching there and like how much she loves her students and how much fun she's having. And like we were talking about how she's been on Tinder and like all these dudes that she's hooking up with in London. And she was like telling me about like all this great sex she's having and that she's like hooking up with like guys in her and they're like mid twenties. And I was just like so proud of her. Cause she's like finally like able to just really um, sort of like be herself and like live her best life and live life on her own terms and like not have to worry about always being there for her kids or being there for her husband or whatnot. And I just, I feel really 
proud. I mean, she doesn't need me to feel proud of her. Like, I mean, it's not like she needs my my um, acceptance or anything, but it just made me feel very happy to see how happy she was and to see um, just like the way that she's living her life and how she's finally sort of like in a place where she's doing exactly what she wants to do. And she's like really, um, you know, just really like going for it. And, you know, sometimes people think that whenever you graduate college, you reach that point when you're like, 25 and you're living your best life and you're young and you're hip and you're successful and you have your first job but for some people it doesn't hit until they're 40 or 50 or 60 and then they finally hit that point where they're like really living their life in stride and she just got her second novel published which is called remnant and that's part of why she was over here she was at a book festival here um to hold a workshop and to do readings for it and i just I just think she's great, and I'm so happy for her and just for the life that she's living right now. Excellent. That is excellent. And that is something that I think a lot of people don't know about or maybe, like, younger people don't know about or certainly popular media doesn't really focus on is, like, we're such a youth-focused culture. But, like, life doesn't end when you hit, like, 24, you know? Like, you you keep on living. You keep on having adventures. You keep on doing things. I mean, I'm older than you, and you're not – I mean, you're, what, 29? What are you? 29 yeah 29 so would you say that you're living your best life right now Corey? i oh probably not (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't think i'm living a bad life by any stretch of the imagination but i also don't feel like i have gotten to that point where i'm like really like loving what i'm doing every day and really like you know, doing exactly what I want to do and like that kind of stuff, not living a bad life, but I don't think I've gotten to the point where I'm like really successful in the way I want to be yet. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you're like into photography and you still got like a whole lot of work to do in the photography department. You mean there's like a whole like career path waiting for you out there and you guys are just recently married. So maybe you've got more stuff to do in that regard. And, you know, I don't know what other plans you have. I mean, maybe you want to travel or maybe you want to, like, I don't know, start a garden or some shit like that. But, like, <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, you don't feel like your life is over, do you? Oh, no. I mean, sometimes I have, like, brief existential crises where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm almost 30. This is it. And then I'm like, oh, no, actually, it's not. <laughs> it's funny because we're so often told that that's how it is. And we, like, like so many video games have teenagers as a protagonist. And I got to tell you, man, like, while that's fine... Uh, to a certain degree, now that I am 42, I'm sick of having teenagers as protagonists. <laughs> I want to see I want to see protagonists that are older, you know, like I know that people were really kind of having this big hullabaloo about, you know, the quote unquote, the dadding of games. And, you know, that's still kind of a thing under debate in uh, critical circles. But it's like I'm kind of I'm glad. I mean, I don't want all games to be dad games, but I think it's it's great that we're finally getting some dad games because I am a dad and I want to see games that talk about what it feels like to be responsible for another person in that way or to, or to care for someone in that way and how that can affect the rest of your life. I mean, there's a lot of territory to mine there, you know, and talk about, you know, like having relationships with people when it's not all about like the Romeo and Juliet star-crossed lovers thing, but like when you get older and you have responsibilities and you've had experience on your belt. I mean, there's like this whole universe of experience out there that just isn't really a thing in your 20s and you know there's a whole different experience in your 30s there's a whole different experience in your 40s so um i'm glad that she's taking advantage of what you say she's 40s is 40-ish is what you said uh i think she's like late 40s late 40s so it sounds like she's getting out there she's taking advantage of like this new phase of life where your kids are old enough you don't got to worry about you know them wanting you to make them a pop tart when you're in the middle of like trying to bang some dude or something. <laughs> so, I mean, it totally opens up like all these possibilities. Like you have all these new 
you know, it's like something that you used to have and then you didn't have it for a while because your life changed and you get it back again. I mean, it's like the circle of life keeps going. It's not just like I'm young and then you die. It's like there's this entire array. So it sounds like she is well into discovering that, um, which is great, which is great. I mean, I'm kind of, uh, you know, like I said, I'm 42. I feel like my teens were terrible. I hated my teens. 20s, a little bit better because I had a little more freedom and money, but I still had a lot of problems, just not. Um, as happy as I could have been, or, you know, my life wasn't really where I wanted it to be. 30s were, oh, God, total shit show. And now that like, <laughs> I'm in my 40s, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I feel like things are finally coming together. Like, I got, you know, I got to knock on some wood here because uh, I want to curse myself. But, like, you know, got a good job. Got the best wife in the world. I got an awesome kid. You know, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm living in a place where I like to live. And it's not like I'm rich and I'm not like, you know, I'm not like jet setting. I don't live on a yacht or anything. It's just like I got a simple apartment. And I got a great partner, and I'm just very comfortable, and it's all, you know, it's all good. It's kind of being grateful for the the good things and, and not pining for, like, when I was back to 18 or, like, when I was 22 or whatever. Like, there's a whole new set of experiences to have. So I'm really interested in having those, and I'm really enjoying that. So I get, I get the whole new outlook on life and living your best life, and sometimes that's not exactly what you think it might be. Or that's not what, certainly not what media tells us it is, for sure. So <laughs> I think we should all take an example from uh, Lanya. That sounds like she's uh, doing something good over there. Yes, she is. She is a force to be reckoned with right now. Excellent. You know, I think I've actually heard of her three cubic feet book. I don't read books anymore because I don't have time, but I think I've actually heard of that book. I should look it back up again because I, I'm pretty sure I've come across it at some point. So I will look it up after the show and see what's what. So anyway, man, what else you got on the, on the banter plane? Anything else you want to talk about? That is pretty much it for me, I think. All right, right on. I got a whole mess of stuff. This is a funny show today because I've got so many small little topics to talk about. I know we usually kind of each have like two big games or whatever, but I've got a bunch of little games to talk about. And as far as the banter goes, like I've just been on like a, God, I don't know, like media orgy or something lately. <laughs> um, before I get to that though, I want to say just a shout out to, um, there was a, a class, a homeschool class. I mean, people listen to the show probably know that I homeschool, uh, because the public school system is a farce and a joke and, uh, the best trick the devil ever pulled. But, uh, my son is homeschooled and we take him to various classes. I mean, homeschool is not just like sitting at home doing school at home. Like it's totally all about, um, and of course, there's many different kinds of homeschool. We're not the religious. We're totally agnostic. It's all about what is he interested in. We support whatever he's interested in. We take him out to like different outings and opportunities. I mean, it's like, it keeps us so busy. Like we're constantly doing things. It's not just it's not just sitting at home at a desk and reading books. So there was a class nearby that was going to teach kids about writing and how to like create a, their own book. Like just a real small, nothing huge, not the great American novel by any means, but just like you know, we're going to get together for two hours and we're going to make a book. And at the end of it, you'll have something to take home and it'll be kind of neat. Uh, I was supposed to go, but I ended up working and I couldn't go. So my wife uh, took our kid and they told us all about it and they sent pictures. And it seemed like the coolest fucking thing where the kids went. It was like six or eight kids. They all got to talk about what was interesting to them in life right now. So they ended up writing a story that was about like people going into space. And the thing that was really cool was, like, they all collaborated on it. So, like, every sentence they would kind of talk about where the story was going. And so it was not only about writing, but it was also about, you know, taking suggestions from other people, working as a team, group effort, that kind of a thing. And they had an artist that was there who was actually drawing pictures for the book in real time as they were making it up as they went along. And when my son brought home his book, I looked at the pictures and I'm like, this is nuts, dude. This picture is exactly what you're talking about in the book. Where did this come from? Like, I expected it was going to be, like, some pre-made piece of art or something. 
And my wife's like, no, he was like doing it like right there as they were talking about it. I'm like, oh my God, it's like amazing. Like everything, <laughs> they were talking about an otter that went into space with a blanket and they all had helmets on and there was like meteors and stuff. And like he totally drew like everything and it was good. Like it wasn't just scribbles and shit. Like it looked like a really good <laughs> children's book illustration. And I was totally blown away. Like it looked so awesome. So they got to do that class. I thought that was a great experience for everybody involved my son was really excited about it. he told me about it. we read the book together and it was great and i was really impressed i mean with the art level i was like man that guy's a good artist and the fact that he was like busting it out in real time for these kids and they had something to take home at the end of the day was like amazing so anyway that was like a really cool homeschool opportunity that i was glad we were able to uh, take my son to it sucked that i missed it but it sounded like um a real fun time and afterwards i could certainly see the results so that was really neat um so very happy about that uh, other than that, it's been working a lot, working a ton, although we have actually had time for, um, some TV and movies. So I'm going to go off on like a little movie, movie riff here. So strap in, dude. Um, <laughs> so I, I've been kind of wanting to show my son some older movies. Like, you know, the new stuff is great and he watches stuff on Netflix and all this stuff, but I want to expose him to some stuff that was like around from before he was born. And so I, this weekend he didn't want to see it, but I kind of forced him to watch flight of the navigator. Have you ever seen that? I have not. Have you heard of it? Yes. Okay. So this was like a Disney movie from, I want to say it was like 82 or something like that. So long before he was even a twinkle in anybody's eye. And uh, this is a movie about a little boy who is out in the woods. He falls down a ravine, conks his head, wakes up. And when he goes back to his house after he wakes up, it's like eight years later and he doesn't know where he's been. His whole family has aged eight years and he looks exactly the same age. And so it starts off like really crazy. And what happens is uh, NASA finds a spaceship uh, in this other part of, I think they're in Florida or something like that. And so eventually like, you know, the kid is hearing signals from the ship. The ship wants the kid to come back to him. Um, story, 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 stuff happens. But it's basically about this kid who is piloting the spaceship and the spaceship needs him to pilot it. And they kind of go on this kind of crazy adventure across the country. And nothing um, nothing was really scary. Nothing, nothing was really, like, at stake. I mean, no one was ever in danger. It was a Disney movie from back in the day. So it's pretty benign. But it was pretty cool. I mean, the ship looked really cool. It was one of the earliest examples of um, computer-generated graphics in movies, I believe. I think Tron was the very first one, if I remember correctly. But Flight of the Navigator was one of the earlier ones where they actually had, like, some morphing technology on display because the ship changed shape at some point, and then that was uh, a big deal. But he really enjoyed that movie a lot, and I haven't seen it in probably 20 years or whatever, so watching it again, I was surprised at how well it held up. It really did hold up. I mean, um, you know, the special effects could use a little touch-up here and there, but like I think the story was still interesting and very appropriate for young kids. Uh, he, like I said, he didn't want to watch it, but like once it got rolling, he was sucked in, and he really enjoyed it too. So I'm glad I made him watch it because he really ended up liking it quite a bit. So Flight of the Navigator really holds up as a family movie. Uh, very cool, uh, lightweight sci-fi. And I believe that Disney is actually going to be remaking it pretty soon. So it's kind of cool we watched it now because if a new one comes out, we'll have something to compare and contrast to. Um, interesting fun fact, the voice of the AI that was aboard the spaceship, none other than Pee Wee Herman himself. I had no idea <laughs> back in the day. Paul literally, Rubens. literally Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman was the voice of the ship. And of course, listening to it now, I was like, oh, God, of course, that's him. But like back <laughs> in the day, I didn't know. I was just like, like some kid. Right. I had no idea. So that was really kind of a bizarre. I, I, I really want to know how he got cast for that, because it seemed like it was just a really strange choice. But anyway, Flight of the Navigator was really good. 
We also watched uh, the new Jumanji that was starring The Rock and Jack Black and Karen Gillan and uh, a couple of the people. Have you seen that? I have not, and I never will. I didn't think it would be on your radar. And to be honest with you, it didn't seem like something that I probably would ever want to watch either. I, I, even though I have a kid, I try to steer him away from the stuff that looks obviously stupid. And so we try to watch like a better quality movie. But a lot of my friends were saying that it was actually much better than it looked. So I'm like, uh, I'm not sure that I believe you, but okay, we'll try it. It actually ended up being really funny. Like it was actually really good. Um, I mean, not like, you know, Oscar material by any chance. I mean, you know, it's, it's not something that I'm going to like call my friends over and have a pizza party and watch or anything, but it's like, it was actually much better than I thought. I mean, the premise, uh, have you seen any of the Jumanji movies? I think there's like at least two other ones out there. Two? Are there really two other ones? Uh, yeah, there's Jumanji, the original Jumanji, which had Robin Williams and the sequel was called Zathura, which did not star Robin Williams, but it was the same basic idea. And it was like the unofficial sequel, uh, where they go to space instead of in the jungle. Did you see either one of those ones? I have I have seen the very original with Robin Williams. I saw that in the theater, but goddamn, I was probably like eight years old whenever it was in theaters or something. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it a while ago. I don't remember much about it. We watched Zathura a while ago. That is actually a really good movie. That still totally holds up. Really fun movie for kids for sure. Um, so we watched this new Jumanji, and you know, basically, I think most people know the idea of Jumanji is that it's some kind of like a cursed board game where kids get sucked into it and they have to like complete all of these like jungle based challenges in order to get back to the real world. Uh, this time around, uh, some kid finds the Jumanji board game and he's like, who plays board games anymore? And he like kind of tosses it aside cause he's playing like a PS2. So he, the board game kind of like senses that it's being rejected. And so it transforms itself into like a video game console and that's how it sucks in kids. And so, um, I mean, same basic idea. Kids get sucked in. But in this this time around, uh, the kids become video game characters. So uh, this like nerdy high school kid becomes like the rock and this like, you know, kind of like shy shrinking violet girl becomes like this really like badass kind of like, um, you know, jungle lady who like fights dudes and is super beautiful. And uh, the really hilarious thing was like the um, the beauty queen of the high school gets sucked into the game as well. But because all the other characters are taken, she has to take, like, the scientist character, so she becomes Jack Black instead. And so he goes through the whole movie, like, as if he was, like, you know, had the spirit of a, a young girl inside of him. <laughs> and so that was, like, totally bizarre. Like, I mean, a lot of comedic potential. Like, the first time he goes pee is pretty fucking hilarious. So I don't want to <laughs> spoil that, but I'm sure you can see where that goes. Um, but it was good. They incorporated some video game, like, actually a surprising amount of, of correct video game knowledge. And a lot of the terminology they used and some of the concepts they used, even though like there was no game graphics, like it was all just them in the jungle. They were still kind of like, you know, quote unquote, like playing a game and like all the same rules apply. Like they all had three lives and there were challenges to get through. And I mean, it was cool. Like it was kind of a video game movie, even though it really wasn't a video game movie. And it was actually much funnier and more exciting than I thought it was going to be. So uh, I, I would recommend it if you've got kids. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say anybody who just was just kicking it on a Friday night to watch it. Unless you're like a real fan of some of those people. But if you've got kids, I think it's a great kids movie. It's very, very well done. And it was not painful to watch. So that's always a plus when you're looking for kids <laughs> movies. Um, the only other thing that I will talk about that I've seen was I finished watching Jessica Jones. We talked about this last episode or the episode before, didn't we? We did. Yeah. So we finished this season, season two. Got to say it was really good. It was really solid. Um, I heard some people grousing about it but I was trying to avoid spoilers. So I didn't really pay too much attention. And I'm glad that I didn't because 
I can totally understand why people were upset because I think it took a big left turn in the middle of the series. And I'm not going to spoil it here, but something happens that is totally unexpected and was not in any of the promotional materials. Um, so the series starts out one way and then it kind of ends a totally different way. And I was, I was very surprised. My wife was very surprised, but I mean, it was interesting. It was super interesting and we liked where it went. And a lot of things happened with the characters that we were super not expecting. So that was always good. And it was just really well done. I mean, I think, um, it's a great example of a gritty street level. What would life be like if you had superpowers, but that really doesn't fix everything because you're still an alcoholic and you're still sad inside and you don't, you know, being able to punch somebody really hard doesn't fix all the problems that you have in life. So, I mean, I think that's a great, that's a great approach, you know, like I wish we would see that more often. Like I would love to see more stories where someone can fly or turn invisible, but you know, it doesn't fix everything. Like you still have to be like a person. So I think Jessica Jones is the greatest example of that so far. I really like what they do. And she is a really broken person, but like entertain, entertainingly broken. And you can understand why she's broken and you can see that she doesn't really want to be broken anymore. So she's got definitely the human element and it's, it's totally 100% not just like a superhero story. It's not just about her punching dudes and kicking ass and stuff. It's really just about like her as a person and, and what she does. So I liked it a lot. Also um, big props to Netflix because one of the biggest things I heard about this particular season was they were bringing back um, that dude that was on Doctor Who, David Tennant. We talked about this last time. He played the the villain in season one, and he was not going to make it to season two for obvious reasons. I don't want to spoil it, but I think you can probably guess where that's going. Um, that story was over and done, and I heard that they were going to bring him back because he was so popular. And I was like, oh, no, like they can't bring him back. Like there's no way they can bring him back. Whatever they do is going to be stupid, but they actually brought him back in a really good way. And it was very brief. Like I totally thought he was going to be in every episode. He was not, he was only in like one episode for a very brief period of time. So just to remind you of how cool he was as a villain, it didn't ruin the whole series. I'm really glad they exercised a lot of restraint with that because it could have gone South in a hurry. And it really didn't like, it was very tastefully done. So I was very, relieved to hear and see that so good on jessica jones uh there's going to be a season three and i'm super excited for that and again i would i would recommend it to you dude even though you're not a superhero guy i bet there'd be a lot there that you would enjoy so if you ever have the free time you ever have the itch check it out i will keep that in mind all right man that is what i got i got nothing else uh for banter but we do have a million and one games to talk about and i am super (laughs) excited to talk about these games dude i say we get to it i could not agree more All right, man, let's talk about some games. 